Ah, I just realized I had my uh, mute button on. I will go through all of that again. Uh, but welcome to the show, Jay. All right. That's why I was trying to get a hold of you. I was like, I heard the computer unmute me and bring me on. I was like, I don't hear Sharon. So. <laughs> yes, I went through the whole agenda. Uh, this is uh, Thursday night, June the 15th, and uh, we're doing our Berlin ARCA weekend preview with our Hot Topic Sound Off tonight. And in our first half hour, we are going to have some short track news. And then, of course, we preview the only race this weekend, the Arca Menard Series at Berlin Raceway. We'll include the Arca East and Arca West Series update as well. Then in our next half hour, we have a guest, Christian Rose, Arca Menard Series driver of the number 32 AM Racing Ford, will join the conversation with us. And afterward, we will give you some updates from the NASCAR Truck Xfinity and Cup Series, who are all taking the week off this weekend. Uh, of course, uh, when we're finished there, it is time for our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with the Fan for Racing crew. So a one-hour preview show tonight, and then I'm sure we'll go at least one hour on Hot Topics uh, afterward. So uh, we've got quite an evening here. Yeah, you know, when we talked about this of only being the Arkham Menard Series West, um Racing this weekend might be kind of a short program, but uh, we got some interesting hot topics too. So I don't know that it's going to be any less jam packed. <laughs> exactly. Well, our first, uh, our preview part of the show will only be 60 minutes, and then that will leave us another uh, 60 minutes for our hot topic sound off discussion. So we might be able to get off air uh, on time tonight. So we'll see how that happens. Um, but let's go ahead and get started with some short track news and dirt news. Uh, I just got the information out to you, so I apologize for that, Jay. Um, let me see. Yeah, Here no, I it see is. it. I got it uh, pulled up. Yep. So do you want to go ahead and start with the dirt news? Well, certainly. I don't know if that was intentional, but I appreciate that honor. Uh, we talked about it going into it. Big race weekend at Eldora Speedway. And when it came down to it on Saturday night, Jonathan Davenport, Superman, uh, stole the show, picking up that victory with the uh, at Eldora for the Dirt Late Model Dream. Um, left, left to a frustration of another runner-up in the crown jewel. And that went to, unfortunately, Chris Madden. And the whole thing is covered by Kevin Kovac on Flow Racing. Okay, and then last week was Indiana Midget Week for the USEC National Midget Field. Logan Seavey took the title after the final was rained out. Uh, Richie Murray uh, writes about that over at USEC Media. And Dan Beaver of NBC Sports, uh, the one that gets to cover the Kyle Larson situation this week, NASCAR star Kyle Larson, they won again in the high limit sprint car series race at Eagle Raceway this time. Just picked up his first victory, and I think he's got four of them now. I know. It's amazing. Brian Brown picked up a World of Outlaws sprint car series win at Knoxville Raceway on Friday. Alex Knighton writes about that. Another one he covered on the worldoutlaws.com is David Gravel, as he followed with a win of his own at the same track there at Knoxville on Saturday night. 
And then Ohio Speed Week is underway for the All-Star Circuit of Champions. Uh, Zeb Wise kicked it off with a last corner pass for the win at Attica Raceway Park. Uh, Tyler Altmeyer writes about that over at allstarsprint.com. And you also covered the uh, next uh, series uh, race there at Fremont Speedway with Danny Dietrich chasing down Cap Henry as he picked up the win. And then Brisbane Speedway community is calling for a replacement facility after the loss of Archerfield Speedway. Uh, you'll definitely want to read about that. Rusty Gregory writes about it over at Speed Cafe. Wow, and that'll tie in nicely to under our uh, Hot Topics topic about racetracks. So we'll get to that a little uh-huh. later. Now, uh, with uh, other short track news, uh, this one coming from Matt Weaver, short track scene, amid an otherwise difficult week, Eric Jones picked up an emotional win with that Money in the Bank 150 at Berlin Raceway that we previewed. Yes, indeed. Uh, It was um, uh, a big win for Eric Jones. It's kind of a home track for him. He did a lot of racing there over the years. And, of course, he has a lot of fond memories with his dad. So uh, big, big emotional win for Eric Jones. We head over to short tracks. Matt Hirschman was untouchable in a strong NASCAR wheel and modified tour win at Seonk uh, uh, Speedway. And you can read about that over at short track scene. You could almost call him the Kyle Larson of the wheel and modified tour series there. Now, in the NASCAR Pinty Series, it was Mark and Tony Cameron that paid back Trayton Lapovich with a bump and run. And that was for a win at Autodrome Shadir. And Matt Weaver also covers that on Short Track Scene. Also covered over Short Track Scene is a uh, uh, article talking about a rare mistake from Burt Myers uh, that opened the door for Lee Jeffries to win the 100-lap modified feature at Bowman Gray Stadium. Uh, that's such a tiny track, but it puts on great racing, Jay. That is what you call a bucket list track, at least for me. Uh, I want to go to that at least one time. I've heard uh, there's some good racing and some good fighting, and sometimes it uh, <laughs> leans one way or the other, but there's always at least a combination of both. There's always something going on, that is for sure. Okay, uh, let's see if we pick up any new information that we want to make sure um, uh, uh, that readers know about. Starting at uh, Racing America, a mile-long test at Milwaukee. Who is the favorite? This is for the ASA Stars National Tour. Uh, Faces a test unlike any other on Sunday, June 18th, when the series heads to the Milwaukee Mile for Father's Day 100. So uh, that sounds like a really good article there. It does, Milwaukee Mile, always a great track. And another one further down um, talks about last year's uh, photo finish, Casey Johnson battling young gun William Solowitz. So you can check that out as a reflective back on last year's uh, event there for Father's Day 100. Yes, yes, yes. There's a lot of racing going on this weekend. The Pro All-Star Series is returning to White Mountain for a Father's Day Sunday matinee. Uh, so they're going to invade uh, Mountain Motorsports Park Sunday 
uh, continuing a 23-year relationship between the high-banked New Hampshire quarter mile and the super late model series. So another one that you'll want to check out this weekend. Well, and in the uh, Southern Super Series, they got some new stops on the track, but that's not slowing down Jeff Nolan. And if you don't know who he is when it comes to super, uh, the Super Series, check out that article there on Racing America. Yeah, and another one, uh, real quick, that I want to mention, Jeremy Mayfield feel right at, feels right at home with the Grand National Super Series, and that's at Montgomery Motor Speedway. So a lot of you will remember the name Jeremy Mayfield if you're a NASCAR fan. Uh, most certainly, and I'm glad to see him still racing. Uh, not in areas where I get to see him, but... <laughs> Okay, uh, let's go ahead and go to the uh, Flow Racing News and uh, see if we see anything over there that we want to make sure that we mention to folks. Uh, Midwest Drag Racing Series crowns winners at Thunder in the Valley. Uh, this uh, triumphant return of the Pro Mods to Thunder Valley Raceway after nearly a decade-long hiatus. So uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, Jake uh, Jake Swanson, sorry, picked up the USAC Eastern Storm victory. That was at Grandview Speedway. They cover that. And then the Cars Tour heads back to the Commonwealth to take on Dominion Raceway. So uh, that's coming up here as well. And uh, if you're in that area, you want to get out to Dominion Raceway for sure. Uh, the other thing here is, and I don't know, I didn't pull this one up, but it tells you how to watch the Dirt documentary, documentary series featuring Kyle Larson. It was a five-week program. Um, you definitely want to catch up on that if you haven't seen it, however you can. You'd have to pull that article up. Like I said, I got them recorded, so I know how I'm watching them. Okay. And we'll move over now to short track scene and see if there's anything over there we want to make. There was a penalty in the Penty series. This is the second year in a row that the team has been penalized, uh, and it's M.A. Cameron Robin McCluskey penalized after Penty Series win. So uh, that doesn't happen very often, I don't think. Now they say you're supposed to learn from your mistakes. I guess that one was one they were pretty determined about. <laughs> I guess so. You can also uh, find the full ASA National Tour Series for that Milwaukee Mile uh, race we talked about. Let me see if I can pull that up real quick, see if there's any on there we uh, want to hit on. It might be interesting well, to watch. Well, and Luke Fenhouse top the list. You've also got Derek Krause, Carson Hosevar, Casey Roderick, Sean Hingarani, Gio Ruggiero, uh, Bubba Pollard's on this list. Let's see. Ty Majeski, Harley Jankowski is also on the list. So Ty Majeski right now is your series points leader in this series. So uh, Milwaukee Mile is going to be a home track for Ty Majeski, I think. You also have NASCAR Truck Series contender Carson Hosevar uh, on that list as well along Midwestern drivers. And the interesting thing with him, uh, I know he made one of the events at Eldora on dirt, um, now in a late model on, a, on the Milwaukee Mile. 
I just I like what I see out of him and the experience he is getting right now. Absolutely. There is just so much going on in the uh, short track world. And I'll tell you, there's three websites that we kind of use as standards here at Banff Racing, and that's Racing America, Flow Racing, and Short Track Scene. And we try to hit the, the headlines at uh, each of those three sites, but there is so much more uh, that I really encourage you guys to uh, check out all three of those websites. But, Jay, we've got to move on now. It's time for us to uh, take a look at um, the next race that's coming up at Berlin Raceway. I know there's a feature article. I saw the pit box. Oh, here it is. We've got some notes here that I sent to you as well for the Arca Menard series. The Berlin Arca 200 will be at Berlin Raceway this Saturday, June the 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. There is live television coverage on Fox Sports 1 starting at 8 p.m. They'll be going a distance of uh, 200 laps to cover 87.6 miles. So Berlin Raceway is uh, a really important track on the uh, on the Arkham and Art Series schedule. Well, and just to start with, uh, you mentioned it being on uh, FS1. It kind of is an opportunity race as far as coverage. Uh, again, we mentioned none of NASCAR's top three series running, uh, and this one is live on FS1. So it is a big event as far as coverage. So look forward to that. Um, but as we get into the notes, the Berlin ARCA 200 at Berlin Raceway, it's the sixth of 20 races on the ARCA Menard Series uh, schedule and it is the first short track of the season. The Berlin ARCA 200 will be the 33rd race at Berlin Re- Raceway dating back to the first, which was won by Les Snow in uh, 1958. Now, Jesse Love enters the Berlin ARCA 200 right now with a 13-point lead in that ARCA Menard Series championship standings, and that's over leading Bounty Rookie Challenge uh, contender Hollywood superstar Frankie Munoz. Love has won the last three consecutive ARCA Menard Series races across a range of tracks, Talladega Super Speedway, Kansas Speedway, and then Charlotte Motor Speedway. Former winners at Berlin Raceway include uh, the aforementioned Les Snow, Nelson Stacy, Bob Jaynes has two wins, Don White, Harold Smith, Harry Katona, Andy Hamilton, Ramos Dott, Bob Seneca, uh, Bob Keselowski, the father of um, Brad Keselowski, Frank Kimmel, the winningest driver in Arkham Menard Series, he has three wins, Tim Steele with two, Fred Campbell, Joey Miller, Brian Keselowski, the brother of Brad Keselowski, he has two wins there, Scott Speed, Justin Lofton, Joey Coulter, Matt Merrill, Chris Busher, Eric Jones, Grant Infinger has two wins there, Dalton Sargent, Joe Graff Jr., Daniel Dye, and Sammy Smith. A lot of recognizable names on that list, Jay. There is, and I'm going to have to see if I can't chat with Matt Weaver with for a Where Are They Now section for Dalton Sargent. Uh, when you said that name, brought back some memories. I always liked him. Oh, yeah, he was one of our regulars. 
the Berlin Arcway, that'll be the 182nd Arkham Menard Series Series race in the state of Michigan. Uh, again, that's a Northwest or Midwest-based series, so 182 races in Michigan. Okay. From the drivers that I mentioned earlier, uh, some of those drivers had their first career Arkham Menard Series victory at Berlin Raceway. They include Bob Seneker, Bob Keselowski, Fred Campbell, Brian Keselowski, Joey Coulter, Matt Merrill, Eric Jones, Dalton Sargent, Joe Graff Jr., Daniel Dye, Sammy Smith, all having their first uh, career Arkham and Art Series victory at Berlin Raceway. For Seneca, Campbell, Colton, Merrill, Jones, Graff, and Die, it is their only win to date. Well, and the name Campbell comes up again as Brian Campbell is the one that holds the Berlin Raceway qualifying record at 15.014 seconds, which equates to 105.018 miles per hour. That was set back in 2010. And then Matt Merrill set the 200-lap race record at Berlin Raceway with his win in 2011 at 1 hour, 10 minutes, 21 seconds, or 85.272 miles per hour. We talked about rookie contender Frankie Nunez. I know he led the points for a while. He is the only driver to have completed each of the 519 possible race laps in the first five races of 2023. Tony Constantino is second in the laps completed category, and he has 515, just four short. Wow. Uh, Love leads the series full-time competitors with a 7.4 average finish in the first to five races of the season. Munoz is second in average finish category. His uh, stat is at 8.0. The record for the most cautions at their track and race was 14, set back in 2005 in the race won by Joey Miller. The record for fewest cautions was two, uh, and that was set in 2012 when that race was won by now NASCAR star Chris Buescher. Tim Steele holds the record for the most laps led by a winner at Berlin Raceway. He leading all 200 on his way to a victory in 2001. Grant Denfinger in 2015 and Daniel Dye in 2021 led 198 laps on their way to their victories. And I'll, as always, like to make this note um, for the Arkham and Ard series, should the race need to be extended into overtime, there will be an unlimited attempt at a two-lap green-white checkered finish. Uh, should the caution flag, though, be displayed after the white flag, uh, it is an unlimited attempt at a one-lap green and white together finish. So, again, always a little something different with the Arkham and Ard series, so we wanted to make that note. Absolutely. Uh, let's see if we can go to the entry list uh, for this race. The ARCA, Berlin ARCA 200. Uh, there's uh, quite a few here. I'll start at the bottom and we'll work our way up, Jay. Uh, in the 06 right. this week, A.J. Moyer from Tampa, Florida. He'll be driving the Rivers Ed Cottages and RV Park, JRCPays.com, Toyota, for Wayne Peterson, and Wayne Peterson will be on top of his pit box. 
Alex Club, a name we're familiar with in Arkham Menard series. He is the owner and crew chief, though, of the number 03. This week, going to be driven by Roger Carter out in Concord, North Carolina, with the Mosquito Mob Michigan sponsorship on that Ford. Okay. Mike Schroof will be the crew chief for the Hillenburg Chevrolet, the number 66, driven by John Garrett from Athens, Texas. He'll have Venture Foods on his on the side of his car. A rarity here, but we got a Brad Smith-owned number 49 Ford. Driver will be Jeff Smith. Uh, some connections here in a second, but he comes from Romeo Mission and going to have the Capriya sponsorship. Aaron Bezniski, Bezniski. Uh, is the crew listed as the crew chief? Mm-hmm. But Brad Smith is going to be in his familiar number forty-eight uh, from Shelby Township, Michigan. Uh, he'll also have Copre on the side of his Chevrolet, and Jeff Smith is listed as the crew chief. So he's going to be doing double duty with driving and crew chiefing. <laughs> now it'll be interesting for sure. Um, mentioned Tony Constantino earlier, the number 45 Ford of Enrique Tamayo, uh, Tamayo Constantino Racing Team, comes out of Mansfield, Ohio, and has Matt Weber in his ear. In the ear of Christian Rose this weekend is Ryan London. He'll be driving the number 32 uh, West Virginia Department of Tourism Ford uh, for AM Racing. And uh, he uh, it hails from Martinsburg, West Virginia. Another one that has a little bit of a change in the number 31 Chevrolet of Goulet Family Racing is Tim Goulet driving Rita Goulet listed as the crew chief of the DNA collision and detail uh, machine. And Frankie Munez driving his familiar number 30 Ford for Mark Rett, uh, and he hails from Scottsdale, Arizona, and will have rescales on the side of his Ford this weekend. We get into the Venturini Motorsports. we got the number 25, that Toyota. That's going to be Tony Bridinger coming out of Hillsboro, California, as the FP Movement Sponsorship, and Caden Lapovich calling the shots. Shannon Rush was the uh, crew chief on top of the pit box for the Venturini 20 Toyota, driven by Jesse Love from Redwood City, California. He'll have JBL as his sponsor. Breaking up that team a little bit, we got the Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota number 18. Driver is William Salwich out of Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Matt Ross will be uh, helping him handle that Starkey Sound Gear car. And Kevin Reed Jr. is on top of the other Venturini Toyota this weekend, driven by Sean Hingarani. He hails from Newport Beach, California. He's driving that number 15 gear wrench Toyota this weekend. Then we got another Michigan native, Sawyer, Michigan driver, Matt Kemp. He'll be in the number 12 Ford for Hillenburg. Michelle Hillenburg listed as the owner. Dick Dohaney listed as the crew chief. Todd Parrott is the crew chief for the other Hillenburg uh, car, a Toyota, driven by Zachary Tinkle from Speedway, Indiana. That number 11 will have Racing for Rescues, Fast Track Racing on the side of the car. 
And the Rev Racing entry, Max Siegel owned Jamie Jones Crew Chiefing, and sponsored by Max Siegel Incorporated, will be Andres Perez Delara out of Mexico City, Mexico. And that's the number two machine for Rev Racing. And then we skipped over the number 10 Toyota for Andy Hillenberg, uh, Crew Chief Dustin Hillenberg, Tim Monroe from Elmwood, Illinois, will be racing that car with FastTrackRacing.com as his uh, sponsor. I apologize. I sure did skip uh, Monroe. Okay. <laughs> no problem. Um, so just to make sure everybody knows, uh, this is a really this is really a big event because it's the only race going on this weekend. The top three are not racing in NASCAR, so it puts these guys on a really big stage. As uh, Jay mentioned earlier, again, that race is 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Friday night, June actually Saturday night, June 17th at Berlin Raceway. Uh, the next race for the Arkham and Art Series East is July 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time out at Iowa Speedway. That will be televised on uh, FS2, the Calypso 150. And for the Arkham and Art Series West, they're racing the Napa Night Vision 150 on July 1st, 10 p.m. Eastern Time at Irwindale Speedway. That race will be available via live streaming on Flow Racing. So uh, always uh, look forward to the races here uh, in the Arkham Menard Series, and this is a big one for them this weekend. It is. I counted up 17 uh, drivers on that entry list real quick. Uh, I thought it might be a little bit more, but I also realize uh, that I know they talk about it, or that the NASCAR drivers, um, everybody being off this weekend, and I know for the Cup Series, I think it's the only off weekend going into the 16 or 17 race stretch to finish the season. So uh, a lot of them really taking advantage of it, taking the weekend off. But we do see some others uh, that opt to race. And the tickets are still available for that race at Berlin Raceway. And uh, you can uh, uh, get the link to get those tickets over at um, – actually, you can go to berlinraceway.com at buy-tickets uh, for 2023, and you'll be able to buy tickets uh, right there online. So uh, really cool that you can still get tickets for that race. Again, if I were in that area, I certainly would. Unfortunately, I'm not yet. won't be up in the north there until next week. But uh, if you are in the area and you have that opportunity, I so advise you to go out and take advantage of it get out to these short tracks, whether it be dirt, asphalt, uh, whatever. Because once you're out there, you'll get hooked, I promise. (laughs) Well, our guest, Christian Rose, is going to be racing there this weekend at Berlin Raceway. You can see him in the number 32 from AM Racing, and it's a Ford. Uh, Christian has been with us before. He does a lot with uh, West Virginia tourism. But he's got a truck series debut that's coming up. And uh, that's going to be very cool for him. Um, and uh, we'll be able to talk to him a little bit about that today as uh, we talk about, um, well, as we talk with Christian Rose here tonight. Uh, and I think it's so good uh, that um, that uh, we were able to have him on the show just before this Berlin race uh, because um, – he can tell us about that upcoming uh, 
debut in the truck series at Richmond, as well as help us preview the race out at Berlin Raceway. He's here now, so I'm going to bring Christian into the queue. And uh, first of all, Christian, thanks so much for being on the show tonight. It's always good to have you here. Of course. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you having me. Well, I, I know you're racing with AM Racing again, or not again, but this year you're racing with AM Racing, and uh, you've got a race coming up this weekend on the big stage because none of the uh, three NASCAR series are racing this week. You're going to be on FS1. Uh, so what are your thoughts going into Berlin Raceway this weekend? Yeah, I mean, Berlin's a, it's a unique racetrack. It's, it's a place that... Uh, yeah. I'm very fortunate. Kevin Selinski and uh, Pickle, my crew chief, Brian London, they've won races there, and they've been able to help talk to me, you know, leading into this about what we need to do and how much travel input and stuff around a place like that and tire wear. So I, I'm excited for the challenge, and, and I know a lot of people are going to be watching. And um, there, there's not a huge car count, so there's an opportunity, I think, for us to have a really good race. And, you know, we might surprise some people. I, I, I'm not going to set an expectation too high, but I, I also know that, you know, the guys are giving me an incredible race car and a opportunity to show what we what, all the work we put in so i'm very excited for the opportunity and we'll kind of see how the cars fall from there well christian were you able to race there before at berlin raceway so that you've got some experience I, I, there? i have never run a berlin but i've run some racetracks that are somewhat similar in like pensacola and uh florence is a late model uh i've run a lot of races there um before i got into arca series so it's kind of similar with the way the back stretches about a wall um so no laps there but i think some of the places i've run might help experience wise but we'll find out come practice on saturday okay so you do get that practice session to kind of familiarize yourself uh but it sounds like it's similar to the other tracks that you have raced before uh and i'm glad you mentioned your crew chief as well as uh you know the team and everything that uh is behind you um and and you've got a new sponsor on board. We know we're familiar with you being with West Virginia Tourism, but now you have secure testing and lab works on your on your uh, side of your car as well. Yeah, I'm very fortunate. Steve and Sarah and and uh, Walter with uh, lab works. They, they've all been incredible. Steve and Sarah are, are more of a friendship than anything else, and and they were our primary at Charlotte and and. Our, our goal is with SCS to try to bring, you know, those business-to-business relationships and try to get them some really good TV time. And, and Ryan uh, Pickle made a heck of a call at Charlotte to, to let us gamble on trying to steal a win there. I, we, we knew it was going to be tough, but I thought we helped pretty well. And we got those guys a lot of TV time, and, and I know we will again with them coming on board of Richmond. So very fortunate. Um, you know, God has given me a, a, a very uh, diverse uh trying to find the right words for, for our partners and, and have an SDS and what they do and, and what they've done. They've flown my wife and baby out to several races this year and uh, just very blessed to work with those guys. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, now uh, West Virginia Tourism gives me a great segue into your debut for the NASCAR Truck Series out at Richmond. Uh, tell us your thoughts about going out to Richmond and, and uh, having them on the side of your car and uh, – racing there uh in the truck series for the first time this is your debut yeah i mean uh, it's a dream come true for the truck side it's something that's been a goal of mine for a long time and 
the car's line for us to make it at Richmond of all places. And it's a home track for me. Uh, it's only about two hours from where I grew up. And I remember as a kid going to races there and, and dreaming of somehow working in racing one day, never thought it would be behind the steering wheel and, and uh, have it all come full circle and, and make that truck debut is very special. So uh, I know we'll have a lot of West Virginia people there and um, hopefully we'll be able to put on a good show uh, and just keep in mind what we're trying to accomplish with it. Our goal is just to go run all the laps and, and not cause an issue and, and try to fly under the radar the best we can and kind of hopefully lead into some more truck starts later in the year with that. Okay. I know the last time we talked, you mentioned that there was a possibility of you uh, getting into a, uh, a truck series, and uh, I'm really excited that it's Richmond for your debut. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, now, with us here tonight is uh, Jay Huseman and, uh, as our co-host, and I know he has some questions for you as well, Christian. Absolutely. All right, thank you, Sharon. And uh, Sharon, uh, Christian, welcome to the show. Appreciate, uh, as Sharon said, you coming on. And you guys just kind of touched on one of my first questions. I, I say I only have a couple, but they're kind of uh, extensive and have several underlying. But you're full-time with AMA, AMA Racing, going for the Arkham Menard Series Championship, and I know they have started kind of branching out, and you now have this truck series start, which could lead to more. What is your, your mentality as far as racing for a championship full-time versus one or limited starts where it's basically go out and showcase what you can do while you said trying to run all the laps and, and put on a good showing without wrecking? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. I mean, it's, it's kind of a similar and, and not so similar answer there. I, I think the same thing in running for a championship and running for points in the ARCA series, our goal is to finish races uh, you know, if you look at how the points fall out normally in the ARCA series, it, it comes from not having a lot of the um, standout finishes where it's a DNF or something. It, it, the guy that wins it is normally pretty consistent and, and finding a way to constantly finish in the top 10, top fives and, and steal a win or two. So um, it's the same mindset going into a truck race. It's, it's running all the laps and, and keep getting experience, especially for somebody like me that uh, is still kind of relatively green to, to driving race cars and stock cars. So, um, for the truck series, it's a different motto and in a way of the guys we race in ARCA series, I'm very comfortable racing with. I, I know who races clean, who doesn't race clean, and, and know who we can race around. In a truck series, it's a whole different animal, and it's trying to not ruin those guys' nights that, that are running for points and running for a championship. Um, I know it's a cutoff race, so the, the big thing for the truck side is just trying to keep our fenders clean and, and honestly try to not get TV time, because if we're getting TV time, it's probably not for the best reason. So um it, it, it's a mindset of just go run the laps learn earn respect out there and, and do our job and versus arca series is trying to go out there and um finish races but also try to fight as hard as we can to come up with the best result we can well in this opportunity uh in your position i know is a little bit different so uh, so this one's going to be kind of a two-part but the first one of making starts in other ser series for experience and career progression as you try to work your way up um the risk then of getting um having an issue where then you may not be able to do the primary which is your arkham menard series yeah i mean it, it, it is a uh unique challenge to climb in two different vehicles and, and they drive completely different from each other they're, they're similar in a way uh the same transmission same uh elmer motor under the hood but um, they, they still drive completely different. So 
it's a different philosophy and a mindset on how you're going to run them, but still it's it's racing. Um, It kind of have a little bit of correlation from going from a late model to an Arctic car. So um, it's a great opportunity to go out there and hopefully showcase what we're capable of doing. Um, And then hopefully that'll branch into leading into more starts as we uh, hopefully, you know, go out there and do what we're supposed to do. And with that, as you transition that, I know the Arkham and Arden series, in my opinion, actually right now, maybe one of the best as far as the full uh, spectrum of tracks, whether it be road courses, dirt tracks, short tracks, some of your bigger tracks. Uh, we've seen some drivers that only come from one side, uh, whether it be dirt track racing or road course racing. What kind of experience does that give you there in the Arkham and Arden series of covering all those ranges? Yeah, I think the ARCA series does a great job of preparing drivers with the uh, versatility of the racetracks they, they give us. Uh, you mentioned that we, we hit a lot of short tracks. We, we run dirt races. We're, we're on a road course. And we also have the super speedway and intermediate stuff. So it does a great job of allowing you to cut your teeth and learn a lot of different skills to where when you make that next jump that, you know, you're going to a lot of racetracks you've come to already. I know Kansas, Charlotte. The Daytonas, the Talladegas, we, we get to go to Bristol, um, Pocono, places that we'll come back to in the truck series uh, if everything allows us to do that. So it's great allowing me to cut my teeth and have the experience to know kind of how those tracks run. And then it's also great to allow us to, to branch out and run some of these uh, tracks, the short track racing, you know, what, what bridge didn't allow NASCAR to grow so much is the roots and racing, um, the NASCAR roots to get back to some of those tracks and, and uh kind of showcase what that next level is for those guys that are running late models or sportsmen or whatever it might be around those tracks. So it's a, it's a really cool balance. And um, I think they do a great job of, of allowing us to have every kind of platform at that, especially on Fox Sports One. All right. Well, I thank you for the time and uh, good luck this weekend, starting with that Berlin, but I'm excited for you, the opportunity with the truck series and what we may see uh, in the future down the road as things come together. And I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon here to wrap it up. Absolutely. Thank you for your questions. I appreciate them. Okay, Christian. Your uh, top five right now in the series point standings in the Arkham and Art series, uh, you're actually tied with another driver. But uh, what are your thoughts moving forward? This is, what, race number six, I think, we said earlier, um, of the of – the, yeah, race number six on the schedule. Uh, and that means that you've got 14 more races. Uh, what is your strategy, and are there any tracks that you feel that you excel at maybe more than others? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, kind of take the same philosophy that was done in the first six. We, we haven't had necessarily the best luck in our hands, but we have put together some good finishes in the last two, and, and that, that started to build some momentum. We, we had top five speed, I believe, at Kansas. Um, in Charlotte, I think if we, um, if, if the driver did a better job and we were a little, uh, more on the snug side, I think we had, we would have top five speed there. Track position is just so important on those intermediates, but, um, take the same philosophy and build on the momentum, just keep finishing races. And, and we've gone ninth, eighth, and, you know, let's, our, our goal is to build on that eighth and make that a better finish this weekend. And, and if we can continue to do that, we'll find our way, um, ideally to be fighting for a win by the end of the year. And that's kind of what our goal is. So. Um, just keep that same mindset and, and just keep learning and getting better every week. It's kind of the goal there. And then as the track that I, I really look forward to, Kansas coming back in, in the fall, um, the mile and a half stuff, uh, Pocono is a place that I really, really uh, enjoyed last year. And 
Um, looking forward to some of these places like short tracks that, you know, haven't been the best to me, but, you know, Kevin's won a lot of races. Pickles won a lot of races, and these guys are pretty good on the short track. So I know Gustine got a win at Elko a couple of years ago um, out of our shop, and uh, Berlin's a place that's been very good to our team too. So uh, the road course stuff, I, I, I can't say that I'm um, necessarily – not excited for I'm, I'm actually looking forward to them because I think it's something that might kind of work in our wheelhouse on, uh, on, on the way I like to drive and um, attacking under braking and, and all that stuff. So really looking forward to them all. That's <laughs> the best way to sum it up. Yes, indeed. Now I know you didn't start racing at a real young age. You kind of went into baseball first and then found your way to uh, racing. Uh uh, and and a lot of the racing you've done over the last couple of years here has been uh, to kind of get yourself familiar with it. Um, talk a little bit about uh, why you made that change, Christian. I know we've talked about it before, but just to kind of help fans uh, get to know you better. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that I, I was always a fan from, from a very young age of, of racing, and um, baseball was a – uh, first dream of mine, and I, I was very fortunate to play 22 years of it competitively in my lifetime and um, took it to the highest level I could. Um, you know, it was kind of my goal, play until they told me I couldn't. And then I wanted to bridge into the racing side, kind of as a pit crew guy. That's what I was looking at. You see a lot of Division One athletes branch into that side of still keeping that competitive edge and being an athlete. Um, and just as a fan going to Daytona for the years and sneaking in the garage, I got linked in with uh, – DJ McLeod and some of those guys, and, and they gave me an opportunity to come out and drive one. And um, it, it wasn't supposed to be anything serious. It was supposed to be just go say we got to drive a race car, and we happened to not be too bad as where we got the opportunity. And, and we haven't looked back five years later and um, to see the growth from where we went to fighting just to find funding to run a late model here and there to running full time in the Arca Series of a truck start. It, it's been fun to do, and it's been a blessing. And, and God's had His hand on it the whole way, and, and it's something that. Um, I, I don't take uh, for granted. I'm very fortunate to be with AM Racing and, and a lot of people that believe in me. And uh, I, I hope we can set an example for anybody else that, that might have that same mindset or want to do what I did and, and try to show that it's possible if you put the work in and um, trust, trust the process. Absolutely. I think you've done a great job in a short amount of time, Christian, and and we always look forward to you coming on the show and talking with us, and uh, we really wish you the best out there at Berlin. Any shout-outs you want to do before we say goodbye? Uh, I mean, as always, we want to thank West Virginia Tourism, Secure Testing Services, the Disability Opportunity Fund. You'll see them as a primary this year. Uh, STS, uh, Steve and Sarah, everything they do, Labworks, uh, Warwood Tool, uh, Mountaineer, uh, Bar and Grill back home, and then Black Draft are all of our partners. We're very grateful for all of them and um, been very fortunate to have them all to be able to chase his dreams. So can't thank them enough. And then obviously you guys are allowing us to have an outlet to kind of share that story. I appreciate it. Okay. And then you're on social media, both Twitter and Facebook, uh, anywhere else on social media? Yeah, it's Christian Rose Racing on everything. The website, we're selling merchandise now, so if anybody wants to, to represent Christian Rose Racing uh, in our West Virginia primary, and then Secure Testing has some uh, shirts up on their site as well. Um, but that, that covers them all for Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and in our website. Okay, Christian. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, and uh, we'll look forward to the next time. Good luck at Berlin. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I appreciate oh. everything. As always, thank you, Pretty Outland, coming on to, to talk racing with you all.
It's always fun. Thanks. Thank you. All right. That was uh, Christian Rose. He uh, is racing this weekend uh, at Berlin Raceway and uh, always a great interview from uh, Christian Rose when he comes on, Jay. Certainly, as a, the range of perspective he gives, even as you said, of not necessarily a veteran driver, um, but one coming along and where he's at in his career and taking those steps moving along uh, as well. I'm so excited for his truck series race. Me too. Me too. I'm, I'm super psyched about that. Um, okay. For some reason, I didn't get my tweet out. I just noticed that, so I'm tweeting that now, that we are live and on air. Um, But um, I do want to uh, cover some of the notes that we have uh, about the top three series that are not racing this weekend, Uh, the trucks, the Xfinity Series, and then the Cup Series. The next race for the truck series is the Rackley Roofing 200 out at Nashville Super Speedway, uh, and we'll talk about that next week when we come on Thursday. I'm sorry, we'll be uh, doing our one show next week, and that'll be on Wednesday, uh, so watch for details on that. It's going to be, I believe, a podcast that we're going to put out, and uh, Nashville Super Speedway, that's a hot spot in the USA today. <laughs> It is, and I'm looking forward to it of, of all the series re, uh, racing there. I know there's some other stuff when it comes to hot topics about Nashville, um, but I am looking forward to that weekend of racing, and I say weekend as they all, I believe, are racing there. Let's cover the top five in points uh, for the truck series right now. Uh, all right, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Uh, there was one note on the, just the uh, – uh, homepage there that I wanted to hit on Grant Infinger and his wife and I closed the article I cannot think of her name but they are going to be having their second baby oh very cool yeah I was going to do news afterwards but that's great oh okay I got you I'll set the other pages up that way here uh, as I get the truck series driver points I hope this is the truck series oops yeah. All right. It's for just, the truck series. Just the top five tonight. All right. Uh, Corey Heim is your points leader. Even after missing a race, only getting 11 starts, he currently sits at 425, and it is a a point lead. Ty Majeski second, one point back at 424. Then you got Grant Enfinger, Zane Smith, and Ben Rhodes as your top five. And of those, Ty Majeski, the only one without a victory. Again, as we're getting closer, I believe they're down to four races, three or four races left before they hit their playoffs and reshuffle seated based off of playoff points. So going to be an interesting couple of races here coming up for the truck series. It definitely will. I will mention the number six driver, which is Christian Eckes. He's one of three drivers who have two victories so far this season, and he happens to have the most playoff points as well uh, because he also has four-stage wins to go along with those two victories. You know, I knew he was having a good year. I hadn't noticed that. That You're right. He does actually rank above uh, Grant Infinger and Zane Smith with 11 that also have two victories that he actually leads based on those stage wins. And we talk about uh, how important those have become. 
<laughs> exactly. Those are very important. Uh, but now we can go to news, if there's any other news that you want to bring up. All right. I th- that was just the first one. Uh, I didn't see a whole lot there as far as the tru- truck series. One more page back. Um, well, as far Hacker as that, but I did catch joined, that one. Chris Hacker is joining Young's Motorsport. Ah, there you're, you're correct. That one uh, followed up on that split we saw uh, a couple weeks ago. Has it been that long? Mm. When Chris Wright left. So we have. Yeah, I don't remember when we found that that announcement or when that announcement came out. Sorry. So Chris Hacker is going to be behind the wheel of that number two Chevrolet Silverado. Uh, for the 12th race of the Truck Series season. So uh, a new face behind the wheel there. Yeah, I believe it was Chris Wright that actually left the uh, team or they separated. And I, I don't remember how, exactly how that was worded, but so we'll just leave it as they're no longer together. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, let's go ahead and go over here to the Xfinity Series. Um, their next race is also out at Nashville Super Speedway. They'll be racing the Tennessee Lottery 250 on Saturday, June the 24th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, there's uh, a lot going on here in the um, Xfinity Series as well. We'll cover the top five there in driver points. And this one, definitely an interesting mix and story throughout the year as well. John Hunter Nemechek is your points leader. Uh, here it's by four points over Austin Hill. Then you have Justin Algar, Cole Custer, and Josh Berry. Uh, the thing I find interesting here, you had Austin Hill has the three victories leading the series. John Hunter, two, but a little higher in points. Justin Algar, Cole Custer just got their first victories of the season. And Josh Berry in fifth doesn't have any yet, um, but it is Austin Hill leading with the playoff points at 18 to John Hunter Nemechek's 14. So we'll see how these next three races shuffle that up and uh, reseed them as well. Yes, indeed, it is going to be interesting. Um, the Xfinity Series always seems to uh, uh, have some uh, pretty cool things going on, uh, and. Uh, uh, Perseverance, there's a nice article over here about Kaz Grala. It says, Perseverance pays off for Kaz Grala in his first full-time season with Sam Hunt Racing. So uh, Kaz Grala uh, has been on our show in the past, and we always like to keep an eye on those guys uh, after after uh, we talk with them. And I'm real happy for Kaz Grala having a full-time ride this year in the Xfinity Series. Well, and for me, that ties into the story of Sam Hunt Racing as we see these uh, Xfinity Series team come into the series and then develop and build and grow into, whether it be up to the cup level or not, even if it's just at the Xfinity Series, grow into a top contending team. Uh, I don't know that we have Sam Hunt there yet as far as a championship contender, but I think they are in the mix as far as a possible weekly race winner uh, category. Yep, I would agree. I would agree. I think he's had 
some uh, shining moments so far already. Also, uh, a name that a lot of fans will recognize, uh, Greg Biffle is hoping to run in the Xfinity Series race at Portland next year. So uh, I think that would be very cool to see. Well, and I'm trying to think if we had that one up on the hot topics. Uh, I remember seeing it. Uh, not just for him of the running in that Xfinity series of possibly making some starts, and there were some other names that got thrown out in that article of Casey Kane and Carl Edwards of making statements they would enjoy racing uh, at least a couple of starts in the uh, cup level anyway. Um, but also then Biffle also tied in the possibility of the Cup Series coming to that road course there in Portland, which I think is uh, is huge. Yes, indeed. One last thing real quick. Andre Castro is going to drive for Jesse Awuji Motorsports in the Xfinity Street Race at uh, Chicago. Uh, He's competed in the NASCAR Whalen Euro Series in 2019 and 20. So he's going to attempt to qualify for that inaugural street race in the uh, Xfinity Series. I think that's uh, some really good news as well. And that's one of those what you call opportunity races. A, a team like Jesse Awuji, and they're putting in a road course uh, driver that has that experience to get the better, best finish for their race, uh, for their race team in that particular race, but also then the exposure of the driver as well. Um, so multifold that I think these type of races bring out those opportunities. Yes, indeed. Uh, we'll move on now to the Cup Series. They're going to be racing the Ally 400 at Des Ware, Jay. It's going to be Nashville Super Speedway, uh, 7 p.m. Sunday, June the 25th. And, uh, again, this is uh, – uh, it's really great that they've got all three series uh, racing out at Nashville. You know, the more we talk about this, the more my head is spinning. I believe I will be coming back from Minnesota on Sunday, (laughs) June 25th, and Nashville is in between Minnesota and my home here in Mississippi. Um, Yeah, my head's spinning with possibility. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, look out. Okay, (laughs) normally I say the top five, but let's go with the top six in points here, Jay. Well, truthfully, here off of, um, there we go, driver points. Let me try this one. For some reason, I couldn't get a driver points page pulled up off of JSKI. Let me see if this one works. All right, this one is downloading now. All right, so uh, you said top what? Six. Top six, okay. Uh, Martin Truex now leads the points, uh, if you can believe that. Kind of having what return to victory celebration. I know he's got two wins, but he is leading the points now, 13 points over William Byron. Then you got Ryan Blaney back 24, as well as Ross Chastain, who was your points leader, back 24. And Kevin Harvick at minus 25, Kyle Busch at minus 29. Um, the victories there is one big thing you got to look at. Ross Chastain and Kevin Harvick in fourth and fifth don't have any. Kyle Busch in six has three, which ties him with William Byron for the most, but it's Martin Truex that's leading overall. And then when you look at playoff points, I believe that goes to Kyle Busch and William Byron, the two with three victories. So kind of settles itself out on that side, but the mix in between there right now is really, really kind of uh, interesting to look at. It certainly is. Uh, 
and uh, I, I uh, am excited for the uh, Cup Series. As you know, Martin is one of my favorites, and uh, to have him with two wins already in the season is pretty exciting. And I hope that uh, he kind of keeps that momentum going. Well, and you mentioned that uh, we talked about it, the consistency week in and week out is a good thing. But NASCAR went to that win and you're in, and the points that go with it mentality. So that's still pretty important. I mean, they're in the hunt right now, but come playoff time, they get reseeded, pushed down the list, and then the playoff points allow those top teams that have won those races to maybe have a hiccup, a mulligan, as they, as they say in golf, whereas if you don't have those playoff points built up, you might not have that. So, um like I said, going to be something to watch here in these next couple of races and then the first round of the playoffs for sure. Okay. Kerry Tharp, going to some of the news here, Kerry Tharp, who uh, actually was the director at, uh, in the communications department at NASCAR, he left that to uh, become the president at Darlington Raceway, and he announced today that he uh, plans to retire at the end of this season. So we wish Kerry Tharp uh, a happy retirement, and uh, thank him for all of his years of dedicated service. That is one that I know doesn't normally get a lot of attention, but I think he is one that you have to look at. If that's his decision, going to move on, happy for him, but uh, those are going to be some big shoes, shoes to fill uh, when it comes to the track yeah. like Darlington um, and what he has done um, for sure. So, uh, again, appreciate that what he's done. And wish him well, but uh, also look at, you know, who's going to step in and fill that because, like I said, I think he, he left some big shoes. And this one, Jay, might take us right into hot topics. TRD President David Wilson says Jimmy Johnson is going to run a Toyota next year. <laughs> you know, I saw this one kind of blowing up Twitter, and I'm like, it was already announced that Legacy Motor Club was going to move to Toyota Jimmy Johnson yep. is a part of that, and we know he's doing a part-time schedule. I'm like, how did people not put two and two together to realize that Jimmy Johnson was going to drive a Toyota? Um, but it is because, again, he has been Chevrolet, Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet, for that matter, throughout his um, Hall of Fame career. I know he's not in the Hall of Fame yet, but will be, obviously. So, yeah, it is a news story, but like I said, should not have come as a surprise to anybody. <laughs> Wouldn't think so. Wouldn't think so. Okay, so, uh, yeah, some interesting stuff here. We are at that time of the night that we can start our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. I believe Tommy is going to be joining us uh, shortly. And, Jay, if, if, uh, while you kind of uh, pick a hot topic for us, I'm going to send uh, Tommy a quick message and just remind him that we're starting at 930 here tonight. Okay, uh, yeah, I know you had sent out, uh, he said he was going to be in, so um, pull up our, I know the ones we had posted anyway for Hot Topics. Um, I want to start with this one because this was, uh, to me, was the biggest of the week and most interesting. Uh, Mike is the one that actually put it up here. Says the headline says, Bristol Dirt gone in 24, North Wilkesboro to get that date. And before we start going around to see if Sharon uh, can get in touch with Tommy, I'm going to read Mike's portion to it. Said I had to listen to it myself. Okay. 
Um, I hadn't listened to it myself, but apparently it was discussed on the latest episode of the Teardown. And I, uh, I'll go ahead, and if you got Tommy here now, bring him in, and I'll finish Mike's later. Okay, okay. Hey, Tommy, welcome to our Hot Topic Sound Off tonight. Hey, how are y'all? It's been a while. Glad to be back on. We're glad to have you back, Tommy, for sure. Uh, now, Jay's brought up the hot topic about North Wilkesboro, and uh, he's got some comments he's going to read from uh, Mike, and then we'll have you chime in. Sounds good. All right, so again, uh, Bristol Dirt, not just the dirt track, dirt race at Bristol going away, but Bristol Date, the spring date, going to North Wilkesboro. Uh, Mike's comments here were, if if true, it says it wouldn't surprise me. The Bristol spring race was dying. The dirt gimmick was a Hail Mary to try and save it, but it ha- apparently hasn't produced the desired results. Uh, this was a smart move for several reasons. It's a short track trade. It gets uh, the North Wilkesboro uh, date back, and it avoids a major problem with adding a date to North Wilkesboro Speedway, the proximity to Charlotte, Bristol, another track very close to Charlotte. So swapping the Bristol date for North Wilkesboro Speedway keeps the close to Charlotte count the same. Okay. Uh, Tommy, what are your thoughts there about... uh this topic i'm glad jay picked this topic because it was going to be the one i brought up if you asked me so um (laughs) i saw i i saw the um post and i looked at it and um i saw where adam stern is saying there's a 10-year plan in the works to have north wilkesboro back so uh, I'm excited to see that. I know it's still in the works, but um sounds like I'm going to get a chance to go to North Wilkesboro after all, especially if there's a 10-year plan. Um, I don't want to say it this way, but I really won't miss the Bristol Dirt Race. I do feel like this year's and last year's Bristol Dirt Race were actually um, enjoyable, but I will admit that like the first year they did it, it was kind of a flop. It was more like a dust bowl in the middle of, I think it got rained out, so it was on like a Monday or a Tuesday, if I remember, and it was really dusty, and you just really couldn't see. Drivers didn't like it, um, but the race last year and this year were um, were better. But, um, you know, I would prefer to see Bristol as it is without the dirt. Uh, as long as they keep the September date for the night race, um, I'll be happy. And plus, I feel like just the spring race in Bristol has not done well over the past, I don't know, I I guess we could say probably five-plus years maybe, whether it had been on dirt or the way the track is. It just hasn't had um, the crowd there like a normal Bristol race does. And I think it would benefit the track to just have one race there and then have it in September and let it be a sellout because, you know, more people are going to want to go to it if there's only one race there per year. Uh, although it would stink to not have Bristol on the schedule twice, but at least they're going to try to replace it with North Wilkesboro, it seems. So you'll keep a short track and also be close to Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte is closer to Charlotte, which I mean, Bristol's not that far, but either way. And, um, you know, there were some other schedule changes that were being discussed along with, you know, adding North Wilkesboro back, getting rid of the dirt race, 
that I've been seeing on Twitter, like what's going to happen with the Chicago street course. What about Chicago land? What about Rockingham? Um, you know, what about road America? And what are they going to do with auto club? I mean, there's, uh, I've even seen where they're going to try to do Montreal and Canada. So there's, there's a whole lot going on, but, um, Definitely excited to see North Wilkesboro having a 10-year plan in the works. Um, so sounds like or seems like if it becomes true that I will get to go to a North Wilkesboro race in the future. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think both Mike and Tommy bring up great points. Uh, uh, Mike brings up a great point when it comes to uh, – uh, the proximity of those tracks all together, and sometimes they take away from each other uh, when you have that many tracks uh, within a geographical area. So I think it's a smart move for them to uh, shut down one of the races uh, at Bristol. And Tommy, you brought up some great points uh, that that race, the spring race, really has not been that great at Bristol for for quite a while now. So it makes sense. Uh, to put the focus over at North Wilkesboro for that race. Uh, keep the Bristol night race. Uh, I agree with all your points in that regard, uh, and uh, I thank you for bringing that up. And then also the Adam Stern comment. Um, keep in mind that a lot of what we're talking about uh, that was brought up on the teardown, so it was discussed by the folks over there. Uh, and um, I think it's – I don't – they're talking about it as speculation, I think. I don't know that it, NASCAR's really announced anything specific about this. But when Adam Stern came out and said, uh, Wilkes County, North Carolina exec says there's a lot in the future, I've been told that there's a 10-year plan already worked out for North Wilkesboro. I begged them to share it, and I'm sure they will. But for now, they just want to celebrate what's already happened. But i got to tell you, that was really good news, and I think it tied into this storyline about uh, the Bristol Dirt Race being gone uh, and um, uh, giving uh, Bristol one date versus two. I think it does all tie in. I think it's, it's really a smart move for NASCAR, and uh, I think to put some focus on North Wilkesboro uh, is really going to bring – everybody was so excited for that race this year. And um, if you could get the other series there, it's going to be huge. Uh, and I, I think uh, NASCAR is doing the right thing if they go this direction. Jay, your thoughts? Uh, we don't have enough time for me to cover them all, but I'm going to try. Uh, I'm going to start on the Bristol side with the dirt race itself. Uh, the idea was out of the box. That first race, as Tommy mentioned, did not go the best as it could have, but they've developed it, and I think it was still developing um, into good racing. And I also look at, though, the impact it had across the board, not just for NASCAR, but for the track and fans, because they also then hosted uh, World, I believe it was World Outlaw um, races yeah. with the super late models as well as sprint cars. They had classes such as hot shots, street stocks. I know several drivers personally that got to go up there and race on the Bristol dirt. Um, so I hate to see it go. Uh, like I said, I, I don't deny that that first one was not the best it could have been. 
but they learn from it. Um, and like I said, I, I feel like it was still growing and improving. However, I don't have the books to look at and say whether it was a financial success or um, producing, a, trying to think how Mike worded it, of uh, successful as, as they wanted it to be or uh, could be. But So I am, I'm kind of sad to see it go. Obviously sad to see Bristol, one of the NASCAR's core tracks, lose a date. And I know we're getting North Wilkesboro um, in return if this is uh, true and factual. Uh, with that, then I'll cover the North Wilkesboro side on the other side of it. There, try and put the rest of my thoughts in on the second round. Okay, Tommy, your follow-up. So I'm also looking at the the article that Mike posted in regards to this. It also goes over um, the reconfiguration of Auto Club Speedway, Bristol Dirt, not most likely not to return in 2024. Um, considering returning to Canada and um, so it's like Circuit of Americas will be back and that's pretty much all it covers but I wanted to go over some of the other things in addition to losing Bristol Dirt and adding North Wilkesboro back so because other people are saying you know what about the clash will that be a points race uh, if because you know what if they don't go to Auto Club um, what about Rockingham uh, what about this possible race in Montreal? And, and you know, I, it also says in the article that the Chicago Street Course, they would like for it to run from 2023 to 2025. Um, you know, they haven't even ran it yet, and we've talked about it before on the podcast. It doesn't really seem like Chicago wants to do it for longer than just this year. But, I mean, I think if it goes well, you know, I, like maybe we should see how it goes first, then make a decision. But from what I've seen, it doesn't look like the people in Chicago, like the mayor and all them, are interested in having it for longer than a year. But we'll see. Um, and then, you know, there's just so many – Joey Logano said this, and we all know I'm not a big Joey fan, but he said that we're NASCAR is like the only series that goes to multiple tracks um, throughout the year. Like, they'll go to Talladega twice, Daytona twice, Bristol twice, Martinsville twice. And he said that they should really only go to one track per year. Well, I think that there are definitely some races that definitely are um, two tracks per year, especially Daytona and Talladega. you got to go there twice a year, without a doubt. And I used to have Bristol and Martinsville in that loop as well. But to me, I feel like the Bristol Spring Race, like I said earlier, it just hasn't been the same as it once was. And they tried to do it with dirt, and it just didn't didn't work out. So I'm all for North Wilkesboro. We all saw how that went. It was packed. Um, you know, now they just seem to work on the short track package, and they can even make that race even better and I'm about like you I want all series there not just trucks like let's do the Xfinity series there too ARCA I mean it you know there's a lot of options with the North, North Wilkesboro it looks like people want to be there I still want them to get Nashville Fairgrounds going um I, just for me personally um the super speedways and the short tracks are my favorite. And the road courses have gotten a lot better too. Well, I feel like when I was growing up, the short, the, the, um, 
the road courses, I was just like, they only did two. They did Watkins Glen to Sonoma. Now they do like seven a year. And had I been watching 10, 15 years ago, I'd been like, oh, I don't want to watch a road course. But now, to me, they're must-sees. I mean, Coda last year was great with Frost Chastain. Um, so I, I don't – I like the um, road courses now. But to me, if they're going to get rid of a track, you got to throw it in Texas to get rid of. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on with that track. I just don't like it. But – there's a lot of options going on right now with this schedule, and I have to say that I'm, I'm kind of liking it. Like, they're going to get North Wilkesboro back. Rockingham's repaved. Why not go there? Um, doing a race in Canada, I mean, that sounds cool, but we'll have to see how that goes. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of fans in Canada, but that's a long way for the average fan to go all the way there, so you got to consider that. But it would still be really cool. I mean, they went to Japan in the 90s, so, but that wasn't a, a points race. It was just a one-off or whatever you want to call it. But it's exciting to see them thinking outside of the box like this. But at the same time, I kind of want them to stay close and, you know, to all the states that are in the south and kind of like where you guys are in, like, Missouri and Chicago and not maybe venture out too far got to stay where the fans are and North Wilkesboro and Rockingham I would say seem to be the move and um but I would be sad to see Bristol lose that spring race but at the same time it just hasn't been the same yeah it is exciting to see NASCAR exploring a lot of these different options and uh I I do think it's uh I do have to give them kudos for doing that for sure um, as far as the Bristol dirt race, um, I, I do think they're making a smart move by dropping that. I, you hate to see that happen for a track, but I agree with Joey Logano. I think uh, there should be no track on the circuit that they visit twice. I think it should be one and you're done and move on to a different track and open the door for some of these other tracks to be on the schedule. So uh, I like the way that they've organized it, too. You've got, uh, you know, the West Coast Swing. You do the short tracks for a little while. You do the road courses for a while. uh, And then you sprinkle those a little bit. But uh, I do think that NASCAR is really being creative in their thought process. Chicago Street Race is super creative. but and, and to tell you the truth, they've already shut down lanes in Chicago uh, for the track. And uh, I do know that a lot of people have their concerns, and, and they're a little bit worried about this race in Chicago. Um, so he, he, Tommy's right when he says we have to wait and see what happens. Will it go up beyond a, uh, you know, one year? Uh, they have a contract that calls for it to be from 23 to 25. Uh, that would encompass three seasons consecutively. But it says here, too, that NASCAR could request an extension deal through 2027 if everything goes well. So um, that would be really something if it happens. Uh, I uh, think they're going to have their hands full with with this first one for sure, but just like uh, it didn't always uh, go real well 
with the first Bristol Dirt race, uh, I think Jay and I both were saying we got to give it a chance to really work out the bugs and see how it goes from there, which I think they did. Um, and I think that's probably why they said uh, three years for the street race, uh, to try to give it a chance. But I don't know if there's a way to get out of their contract, but they have a contract that takes them through the 25 season. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, um, uh, it is going to be interesting because there was a change in mayor, as was pointed out in this article as well, uh, the mayor that uh, started the whole thing and then the one who has to kind of see it through. So he I, I will say he has made comments. He recognizes the the potential for uh, revenue uh, to the city with having the Chicago Street Race there. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out uh, again as time goes on here. Um, what else did I want to say? Oh, the one that I think is going to be interesting is because uh, this next-gen car hasn't really been working well. On the short tracks, it's been some of the not best racing that we've seen throughout the season. And that's exactly what Auto Club Speedway was considering doing, uh, is converting and reconfiguring to a short track. Uh, you got to wonder if they're going to reconsider that, uh, given what's happening with the next-gen car on the short tracks uh, that have been raced so far. Uh, and uh, if they might consider a 1.5-mile track. I remember a time when everybody was uh, frustrated with the 1.5-mile tracks because they were cookie cutters, uh, but they've been giving us some of the best racing uh, with this next-gen car. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how Auto Club Speedway proceeds, too, uh, given what we're experiencing now with next-gen. Jay? Well, you guys almost make me need to go a third round with this. Um, I know the uh, Chicago street race, I think we have something else up on that on a hot topic, but I will add to that. There was an article that announced a sponsorship deal that ran multi-year, three to four years. So we'll get to that. Um, And then I know, Sharon, you had one with the uh, reference, the short tracker, track versus car. Um, So sticking, go back to, uh, sorry, North Wilkesboro. Talked about Bristol. Again, hate hate to see it go. I thought it was becoming something. But just as with the all-star race, I've always said, uh, give it a couple years. You can't do a one-off. Base your decision on that. The Chicago street race comes into play there, and we haven't even had it yet. So Uh with that, I understand. They did the dirt for three years. That's great. Whether it was successful and continuing to be successful or not, they made the decision they're going to try something else. So I got to respect that. And Northwest, I'm excited for. We saw what uh, what buzz it created with the All-Star race, and that was hugely successful as far as that. Um, you know, so the, the swap there, I agree with Mike. It makes sense as far as uh, oversaturation, oversaturation of the market. Um, you're trading one within range of Charlotte, which is normally the, considered the hub and what they look at as well as short track for short track. So from that perspective, I do agree with that. You know, Joey Logano, when you go into the visiting one track per year, I've always said that, that I would prefer to see that um, happen versus some of these that have multiple. 
Bristol would not have been my first choice to pull a second date from, though, before some of the others. And as unpopular as that might seem or be, Talladega and or Daytona would be one of them, as we have multiple super speedway races. Again, I understand their place in the sport and where we've come from, but also, to me, that game did not be as much racing as strategy and being in the right place at the right time. But I like them for that aspect on the same side of the opportunity races. You never know who's going to win or finish the race and be there at the end, thus have a shot at winning. So I don't mind them. I just don't want to see certainly not any more than we have. Um, and I say that might have been one of the first cuts I'd have made. But so North Wilkesboro, if they get a date, which I think, you know, we talked about the 10-year. I don't know if it's officially written down. But we talked about that when it happened. The money that got invested into North Wilkesboro was not going to be for a one-time event, one all-star race. Again, I don't see know how you could not see that coming. Uh, nobody's going to invest that kind of money, time, effort, and everything else into a one-off opportunity. Uh, you know, whether or not all the plans come to fruition, there had to be a plan long-term for the use of that track, or they weren't going to do it. So. I think we will eventually see more come about that. If it's this scenario or not, or a different one, I do see something happening there other than just hosting a once-a-year all-star race. And, and I'm good with it. I, I thought it was some good racing. The atmosphere and the buzz uh, certainly was. And, again, I'm trying not to lead into the other hot topic. I know the Cup Series race there was not the most side-by-side competitive lap-after-lap action kind of thought. The truck series, however, was phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, uh, Tommy, you get to bring up the next hot topic. All right, let's go with, um, let's see here. Well, let's go with the Charlotte Motor Speedway will be one of the first venues um, to allow legal uh, sports bets. Okay. Jay, your thoughts about this? Well, I know this one has been kind of a topic of building for years um, that NASCAR really wasn't directly involved as far as the sports betting. As that has become the thing, uh, fad, if you will, or they've adopted to it. I got no problem with it. Uh, I, as anybody that knows me knows, I am a gambler. I I don't have an issue with it. Do I think they need it? Um, I don't know. (laughs) You know, it's one of those, again, it depends on the responsibility of the people doing it, which is on them as well, but be careful about it, especially. And I think the baseball, if nobody or anybody else knows the Pete Rose story, as a manager and a player slash manager for a couple of years, um, was betting on his team. You have control of it, so you run into that possibility. If, and I'll just pick a random driver of Martin Truex. Thank you, Sharon. We'll just go with Martin Truex. If something <laughs> were to happen, and it turns out he's got money, or somebody he knows has bet bet big on him of influence, influencing the outcome. And you have that in any sport, basketball. It's called point shaving. 
you know, you, you enter into a really hard to police and risky situation with that. And I don't know if that's why NASCAR has always kind of stayed away from it. Um, but that is a possibility. So there are some pitfalls to it. As far as if the fans want it, the fans are going to do it regardless, I guess, put it that way. Cause like I said, that you can do it outside of their venues anyway. You always have been able to. Um, so I see their point of, well, if it's going to be done, let's put it into our venue and profit from it or work together with it. We'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, and I said, I go back to it. Even if they say they won't allow it or endorse it, if people want to do it, they're still going to do it. Okay. That is so true. There's a lot of betting going on everywhere these days. And, uh, I'm not one to, to gamble, but I know there are a legion of people that do. And so if this is the way that they want to go, uh, and I know the fans enjoy it, then why not? <clears throat> um, you, ha- you do have to be responsible, as Jay mentioned, uh, when you're gambling the money. But um, uh, I think uh, but it does worry me what you talked about with the points shaving, too, uh, where – uh, there could be some manipulation there, and God, I, I really hope uh, that doesn't happen. We haven't seen it so far with DraftKings uh, that I know of, and uh, I really hope that they don't go that direction um, uh, as a sport. But um, I have no problem with it. I'm not really a gambler, so it doesn't affect me one way or the other. Uh, but I do worry about people who uh, have an addiction in that regard or that um, uh, the whole opening the door to Pandora's box uh, to point shaving. Uh, we just got to pray and hope that it doesn't go that direction, Jay. Tommy, what are your thoughts? Well, the first thing I think of was kind of like Jay was going to say with a but he used a baseball reference, but I was going to use what's been going on in the NFL recently. Over the past two or three years, they have had probably a couple players. I, I wouldn't say it's more than ten, but I think it's right around the area of like three to five, I would say. Some of them big names um, have been suspended for placing bets on their own team. The most recent one was a guy from the Falcons. Um, They were already out of the playoffs, and I think it was their last game of the season. And I think he bet that they were going to lose. And he, um, you know, he was on that team, and after the season was over, he got suspended the whole year for doing that. And um, and then they had some other team had a guy that was injured and bet on his team that they were going to lose in the playoffs or whatever, and they did, and, you know, he got suspended for that, too. So um, that's what comes to my mind is how the NFL handles it and how they get suspended and stuff. But at the same time, it's kind of interesting to me that North Carolina uh, is going to be one of the first states to allow at Charlotte, of all places, where you can legally go and place bets at the racetrack while they're racing. So, like y'all say, it is kind of open in Pandora's box, but, I mean, as long as the drivers and team owners and stuff don't do it and just let the fans do it, everything should be okay, but uh, we'll see how that one goes, but I guess NASCAR is going to have to come up with a 
Um, if they don't, they probably already have one in place about drivers placing bets and gambling on their uh, betting whether or not they're going to win or not. But um, I don't know. Maybe I'll go to Charlotte and place a bet and get lucky and make it big and won't have to work anymore. But that's just wishful thinking, I guess. Okay. Uh, Jay, your follow-up? Well, I feel like maybe I brought up the, the, the wrong part of it, cause, and I, you know I'm not particularly happy about being negative, but, I mean, that's a reality. Uh, you know, Tommy mentioned it. It's happening in football. And even, and I don't want to say from this side of it, but uh, of the mindset of how can you get away with it, and I'll use a different driver, we'll say Brad Keselowski. If his buddy is the one, Brad may not place the bet. Buddy places it. Brad finishes where he needs to finish after the race. He goes, sees his buddy, and, hey, lo and behold, his buddy's got some money for him. You know, it's really, really hard to fully police that and know it. Um, You know, and NASCAR's already got their hands full with what they got to police and take care of. So hopefully we don't have to cross that bridge, but reality says you've got to be aware of it. On the other side of the fans, and Sharon, I know you said it doesn't affect you um, because you're not a gambler. Just think about what you've said as far as with our fantasy group, which we do just for fun, bragging rights, and give each other a hard time. It adds a different perspective, especially when you can't always necessarily pick your favorite driver of Martin Truex if somebody picks him before you. It kind of invests you in other teams, other players, other drivers, because at least for that week, you're pulling for them to finish ahead of you know, I'm sure there's weeks you're still rooting for Martin Truex, but you're rooting for somebody to finish in front of him because it's going to affect the fantasy points and you get to talk about it on, you know, Monday, right? You know, so it changes how you would look at the sport as well, um, which, and I'll use uh, uh, one of them, I believe it was the NASCAR one. You can only use a driver so many times. So you have to pick other drivers. You have to, you know, watch them, even though they may not be your favorite driver. You can't just pick the same one every week because it's your favorite or the or the best. You know, you can't pick Kyle Larson. Uh, we'll use him as the best right now. You can't just pick him every week. So there's weeks where you got to take that chance on road courses, Michael McDowell or Super Speedway. So it does. It changes the way you watch the sport. And I know personally when I did fantasy football, it wasn't about watching my favorite team, the Dallas Cowboys. I was watching many games and many players on those teams, so kind of rooting for that team because I wanted my player to do good, you know, for that. So it it has a good aspect to it. Um, Again, as long as it doesn't get out of hand, whether it be with fans losing what they shouldn't, not being responsible in how they do it, as well as then, unfortunately, infiltrating into the sport where things are being done on the track that influence the, the betting side of it. Yeah, you bring up a good point, Jay. It it does give a different perspective to it. Uh, I guess my problem with gambling is I don't like losing my money. So (laughs) I I, uh, don't mind doing it the way we do it with our fantasy racing game. There's no money on the line, and uh, it's just fun uh, to kind of watch that and see how it plays out and see how I compare with the other picks for the week. Um, But... Anyway, I don't have a whole lot to add to this, uh, so I'm not going to say anything more, but uh, I'm going to kind of give it to Tommy for the last word here. 
Tommy, what are your thoughts? I don't have much to say either other than um, pretty interesting that Sean Motor Speedway is going to become one of the first venues to do this in North Carolina. And I just hope that the drivers and team owners are careful unless if they want to end up like some of these NFL players. Totally agreed. Okay, Jay, or no, I guess it's, uh, yeah, it is Jay, your turn to bring up another hot topic. Well, Sharon, I was kind of hoping you'd jump in there and pick one because I got two I'm torn between, but we'll go with the one that had uh, we kind of danced around, and Sharon, you had put it up, um, the interesting take from Front Stretch. So we'll kind of tie it in real quick. It says NASCAR racetracks, not the next-gen car, uh, now at risk. Uh, basically, are short tracks at risk because the next-gen car isn't performing well on them versus changing the car, they might start changing tracks. Um, tracks being cut or changed uh, venues as far as that. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts? I don't know if you've had a chance to read the article, but it's it's pretty interesting. Um, I have not read the article yet, but um, I will say that this year, from what I've seen, Kansas was a really good race, and that is what you know people would say is a cookie cutter. And I feel like there was one other track kind of like Kansas, and I can't put my a finger on which one it is, but um, it was another really good race. And um, the short tracks this year and last year have not been that great, like Martinsville and um, Richmond. Um, and, you know, those – Martinsville's usually a pretty good show in Richmond in the early 2000s what it was called like the Chevy Rock and Roll and all that stuff that used to be a good night race too so um, I would just like to see improvements to the car um, so that way it will make the racing better at those tracks or maybe not even adjustments to the car but just improve the package or you know just do what you need to do to make um, the short tracks and you know, more enjoyable. I mean, you know, it was great to have North Wilsboro back, but, I mean, Kyle Larson won that all-star race by, like, seven or eight seconds. But that was still a good race because, you know, nobody – they hadn't raced there in 20 years. And to me, the truck race at North Wilsboro was better than the all-star race. But, you know, that, that's just me. But overall, it was still amazing to see that place packed and – you know, just the history and, and everything. It was just just a great race, even though the racing itself, I guess you could say, was decent. Um, but, yeah, Kansas this year, which is, like I said, what people call a cookie cutter, I would say that's been the best race I've seen this year. It was a really good race. And I'm really looking forward to Homestead um, later on this year and um, – I wish I could. I'm gonna have to, I guess, look at the schedule to figure out what race that is. I'll, I'll circle back on it on the, the second go around. But um, we were talking about it earlier today, or earlier in this podcast, about you know them changing venues, about what tracks and stuff. Um, you know they're already dropping Bristol dirt, and you know they need to look into Rockingham, and. Uh, 
was it maybe Auto Club earlier this year that was another good one? Or I don't know. I, I guess I'll have to circle back on this one on my second go around. I need to take a look at the races they've done this year to see if I can figure out. But Kansas was definitely a great race, and it's what people call a cookie cutter. And Martinsville and Richmond were kind of duds, and those are usually you know good races because they're short tracks. So I think they just need to tweak the package versus just dropping the track. Okay. Um, I'm going to kind of get into the article here a little bit because he brings up some really good points. Uh, we're living in a different era. NASCAR used to, uh, if if a car wasn't working good on a specific type of track, they'd, they'd go and make changes to the car in order to make that car work at that venue. Uh, but now what's really driving the money part of this um is is the drivers that are coming up with money and uh and and it's kind of changed the whole perspective of things um and so now uh they're looking at if short tracks aren't working why are we going there let's take this car to the tracks that it works best on um and and it it's kind of a paradigm shift uh, if you think about it, from the way NASCAR used to think about some of this. Uh, but with money coming in from the drivers um, as well, and they're asking for more money, by the way, too, because the other part of this article says that some of the the costs, the team owners were the ones that were picking up the costs when they didn't get the revenue that they needed uh, as a lot of these tracks. So now that's why they're kind of putting the earnest on NASCAR to pick up and absorb some of these costs, and they're looking at the rights for the TV licenses um, and and helping the teams out uh, by getting more of that cut. So um, there's a shift in the way of thinking uh, that this article brings up. And uh, I think it's something that, that we really do need to take note of. Um, and I think it explains why they're looking at dropping Bristol Motor Speedway, uh, one of the dates there, and giving that date to North Wilkesboro. My own question is, is dropping one short track for another short track may not necessarily be the answer. You might want to drop a short track for another road course or for another 1.5-mile track. Um, I thought they had great racing at Chicagoland Speedway, and it was a head-scratcher to me that they closed that track down uh, because I thought some of the best racing of this year was at Chicagoland Speedway. I, I, I like the idea of North Wilkesboro. Don't get me wrong. I think that they're going to uh, play the nostalgia of that and, and they'll make it work. But I don't know that we're going to get – it's going to address the problem with racing uh, the next-gen car on short tracks. Um, so, you know, for future – not necessarily Bristol swapping for North Wilkesboro, but if they're looking at other short tracks to drop, I think they should uh, look for a different type of track to replace that track versus uh, swapping a short track for another short track when when that's where the worst racing of the year is happening. 
So we'll we have to wait and see how that plays out. Uh, but I'd really encourage everybody to take a look at this article because it gives really good uh, insight as to why that thought process is changing within NASCAR right now. So, uh, and I think that's important for fans to know um, as as they think about some of these things. But the next gen car. Uh, is a big reason why it's not working on the short tracks. So rather than change the car, let's let's go to the tracks where we're seeing some great racing. And you're right, um, uh, Tommy, we're seeing great racing on 1.5-mile tracks. And it's, it's just ironic to me that the fans were complaining about all the cookie-cutter tracks, and now they're giving us some of the best racing with this next-gen car. So... Um, don't get rid of the 1.5-mile tracks. Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, my first first thought is almost I told you so. Um, when NASCAR went to the next-gen car and the amount of untouchable parts, you can't change this, it really closed down the box on crew chiefs, engineers, and teams. Now, I understand the intent behind it on paper was to bring down the cost because everybody could get the same parts, the same price, and they wouldn't spend the excessive amount of money on wind tunnel research, testing, all of that um, in trying to find that speed and develop that. However, uh, we know this. No matter what, the teams that have money are going to spend it. One way or another, they're going to find a way to spend it and try and find that advantage. I do think that with this car, the changes should be made with the car itself um, to adjust. And it's cyclical, as, as you mentioned, Sharon. used to be that it was the 1.5-mile tracks that weren't, didn't produce the best racing. Everybody wanted road courses and short tracks. Now we got that different car. It's a mile and a half that are the better racing a lot of times than the short tracks. Um, and so now they're looking at, at a different problem. But to take away tracks isn't necessary to me isn't necessarily the answer or financial wise um, because that has a huge impact on communities when you start talking about that um, and I've dealt with that as far as air bases when we go through air force bases closures but so I think it does need to be worked within the car and find a balance I know I'm not uh, we've talked about that of having the short track package the 1.5 intermediate package versus a super speedway package. That gets a little complicated and, again, runs the cost up because now you have certain cars you've got to set up a certain way. But I think they need to find the balance and work with the car, uh, in my opinion. Because, um, again, we have a lot of short tracks. You're talking about, I say a lot, six technically that were on the schedule, two at Bristol, two at Richmond, two at Martinsville. Um, but we also have the Coliseum as well as the North Wilkesboro, whether it be the all-star race, however it be. So with that, uh, like I said, I think they need to look at focusing on the car and my thoughts on the rest of it. I'll do on second go round if Tommy's ready to come back into the conversation. Oh, okay, Tommy. You got the green light. Oh, yes. Uh, I found out the other race. So it was actually, I've got their schedule pulled up and it was Charlotte Motor Speedway that uh-huh. was um, the other one. That was a great race. Like, even during that race, me and Mike were in the chat, and we were actually talking about how Charlotte is back. 
that's how great that race was. Because, um, you know, well, I don't want to say every Coca-Cola 600 over the past 10 years hasn't been that great because there have been some good ones. But this Coca-Cola 600 was better than probably any of the Coca-Cola 600s in the past five years, I would say. So it was awesome to see see it back. And I would say that race in Kansas have probably been two of the best races this year, if not the best. And they're both, you know, cookie cutters. Now, going back to the short track being kind of duds last year and this year, um, I want to say to add to Richmond, NASCAR needs to do what Junior tells them to do because he's every year when they go to Richmond for like the past year or two, I think he's been on on Twitter saying, you know, they used to do this back in the early 2000s and late 90s to the track. Let's listen to Junior and do what they did to the track. I mean, because, like I said, the Chevy rock and roll, whatever it was back in the early 2000s, it had some great uh, racing there at Richmond, some great moments. I mean, there was Ricky Rudd and Kevin Harvick on pit road, uh, Junior versus Kyle Busch, you know, just great moments. And I feel like the last few Richmond races there have been dull um, and, you know, not very exciting. So it'd be great to see another short track back like that one with great racing. To me, I'd rather them just tweak the car or, you know, tweak the track. And, I, you, you know, there is one cookie-cutter track, though, out there that still, in my opinion, um, doesn't have – that great of racing, and we all know that, I, that I'm going to say Texas. I don't know what they need to do to that track to make it entertaining, but, you know, they haven't been there yet this year, and maybe it will be like Kansas and Charlotte. I, I doubt it just because it's Texas, and I feel like the track is cursed at this point. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I just don't know. But, um, yeah, Chicagoland did have a good race, like, whenever they were last there. Isn't that where Kyle Larson and Kyle Busch battled it out? Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, that that was a great race. Um, if the street course doesn't work out, I think they should definitely look into it. Um, but, yeah, I, I just want to see great short track racing again um, because Martinsville this year and Martinsville this year and last year were kind of iffy, but um, – you know, NASCAR, it, I feel like, you know, you can't just have a, a whole complete season. Like, you're going to have great super speedway racing, but then, you know, the cookie cutter tracks are going to be boring. Or, you know, you're going to have great short track racing, but then the super speedway tracks are going to be boring. So, you know, you've got to sprinkle in the good with the bad, but it would be great to see a pretty entertaining short track race with some drama, some fighting, some bumping and banging. Because um, I feel like the last good one was between Joey and Martin, uh, Joey and Martin Truex Jr. Martinsville, like two or three years ago. Martinsville, that that was a that was a good one. And you know Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick at Bristol, you know stuff like that. That would that's what I want to see uh, with you know the new car. So hopefully we get there at some point. Okay, uh, I'm going to go back to the article again as well. Because uh, they're talking about a lot of the drivers that are up and coming in NASCAR uh, come from short tracks. If they do well at the Bull Ring in Las Vegas, 
you know, people take note and they, they get a ride with NASCAR. But unfortunately, and Kyle Bush talks about this, it's not the talent uh, anymore that's really attracting car owners uh, to bring somebody to their organization. They need that money. So they're looking at the drivers uh, that can bring the money to the organization, and those are the drivers that they sign with. So uh, the problem, though, is that a lot of these short tracks are not giving uh, great racing any longer with the next-gen car. It, it just hasn't worked out well and has been some of the um, the April race at Martinsville. Uh, there were just five lead changes uh, and a few, very few passes. There were some passing. Some drivers seemed to have it figured out and they were able to do it, but uh, most of the drivers, there was no passing. Um, NASCAR in the past would work on the cars to try to make it work with the short track, but now here's the problem. The amount of cost it might take in order to reconfigure that short track to make it work with the next 10 car is enormous. So it makes it easier uh, for them to change the track versus trying to rehabilitate the track to make it work with the next car. So the, the idea that NASCAR can build, they can't build the car around the tracks that it currently runs at. Um, even with the small-scale next-gen car fixes, unlikely in the short term, it needs to build tracks on its schedule where the car can run well. So that opens the door for tracks like Kentucky that we talked about, Kentucky Speedway, um, uh, Auto Club Speedway becoming a 1.5-mile track instead of a short track. Um, if they're going to, they're already in the works. It means racing on Charlotte Motor Speedway's oval and not the roval. Um, you mentioned Kansas Speedway. Uh, that's a track that uh, could really be, uh, you know, uh, it could become a crown jewel. Who knows? Um, but it, it's a it's a different way of thinking. Um, and and it's a it's a shift in our minds of how NASCAR has to approach all of this uh, versus do we renovate a track uh, like they're doing at Auto Club Speedway or do we just change which track we're going to go to next? So I, I do think the intermediates need to be looked at with this next gen car, and um, I think it's it, right now. Uh, it has given us parity. It has given us great racing. Uh, so if we're looking at cutting cost, don't give them a different car that they have to build. Let them race the car at the tracks that they really do well on and have fans on the edge of their seat for the finishes. Uh, I think that's the route to go. Jay, I know you've got a different opinion on it, so let's hear your thoughts. Well, no, you hit on a couple of things there, Sharon. I think we had talked about this a little bit following that race. And I will say this, especially after Tommy mentioned the truck race that weekend at North, uh, North Wilkesboro, um, using that particular short track. The cup race, I said, wasn't as great of side-by-side intense racing action. However, Kyle Larson went to the back came back out, made some changes to his car, got up on the wheel, and drove to the front. He, did, he had to do it. I mean, so put some of it on the driver. I get it. 
Um, but it can be done. There were certain teams that we did see make some passes. So that tells me it can be done. Either get better people on your team, get a better driver, or work within the rules on the car itself. Um, like I said, I think maybe NASCAR does need to open up the box a little bit as far as what can be done and worked with the car. Um, that's my opinion. But I don't think it's a a matter of take the car to whatever track it works on. Because like you said, you're going to limit yourself then and really put yourself in a different financial jam, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing I think about when I hear fans um, – whether they'd be here at fans for racing or not, talk about this. I'm like, if you watch a football game and you don't have that seconds ticking down field goal to win the game, is that a bad football game then if it doesn't contain that? Is it a bad baseball game if there isn't a home run every other at bat? Why is it in racing that it's a bad race if you don't have a side-by-side battle finish all the way through the race to include a photo finish? I, I just don't understand that concept. I, I Do I enjoy it? Yes, I do. Uh, you know, that does add to it. But I'm also happy, whether it be fuel mileage, if somebody plays the right strategy, you know, and wins on fuel mileage, whether one driver dominates. Uh, you know, go back to, I'll pick on Sharon's favorite driver, Martin Truex, it's Coca-Cola uh, 600. I'm trying to think. I know he led 394 out of 400 laps. Uh, what that is is mileage, I don't remember. Now, is that my favorite race? No. Do I appreciate what him and that team did? Yes. Do I want to see that every week by the same driver? No. But it happens, you know. I mean, for whatever, they had it all going on that day. I mean, there was no touching them. That happens. I don't call that a bad race, man. I saw a great race for uh, Martin Truex and that team. Anybody else has to go, hey, I need to do something different. So to me, it it still falls apart a a little bit on the teams, but I think NASCAR could help by giving them a little bit bigger window within the car or make the changes themselves. Okay. Uh, We'll let that be the last word, and we're coming up to the time that we normally go off the air, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, and that means for those that are listening for the first time, I just want to let you know, uh, even though we're going off the air at 10.30 sharp, uh, we are going to be recording the rest of our conversation because I'm sure uh, we've got a couple more hot topics here that we can discuss. Uh, and you can hear that part of our conversation on our podcast, and I'll go out on Twitter and Facebook and let you know when that podcast is available. Then any time at your convenience, you can go to the player over at BanforRacing.com or some of our other venues like iTunes or TuneIn or iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to us. Uh, just go to the player and fast forward to the two-hour mark, and you'll be able to hear the rest of our conversation. So uh, just a, a heads up uh, so that nobody is caught off guard. And with that, we're ready uh, to move on to our next hot topic. So, Tommy, uh, where are we going to go to next? Okay, let me take a look here. Um Let's go with let's go with um, NASCAR penalizing Reddick for cutting the course at Sonoma. Okay, uh, Jay. 
Well, this is one I said was a toss-up with me picking the last one because yeah, I did post this one, and I think there's some interesting things going on here with it. Uh, during the road course race at Sonoma, the the number 45 Tyler Reddick had a problem uh, with the tire, I believe it was, and had just passed pit road, which means he was going to have to go 1.99 miles around to get back to the entrance to pit road and go into the pit lane. Wasn't going to make it. It was going to bring out a caution. He spun it around and went back on the track backwards to come in the actual entrance or something, essentially cut part of that lap out because he didn't do the whole complete lap, uh, which is why NASCAR penalized them, and they've explained that. He shortcutted the track. Uh, yeah, shortcut the track. I understand their stance on that side of it. However, as I put in the group there uh, with Mike, NASCAR has also said if you bring out a caution intentionally for the benefit of you and your team, we can penalize you. And to me, that would have been what Tyler Reddick would have done because he was going to get, he was going to lose positions no matter what. I mean, even by doing what he did and getting to pit road that way, he was going to, he was penalized. He was going to lose those positions. Um, he was going to have a bad day. I don't feel NASCAR needed to penalize him. And in essence, like I said, he protected manipulating the race because if he brings out the caution, that changes everything when it comes to restarts, who pits, who doesn't and everything else, which NASCAR took away the cautions for the stage breaks for that reason to let it play out naturally. So I just think that Tyler Reddick, and I believe in his interview, he said even knowing it's going to be a penalty, if in that situation he would do it again because he doesn't want to see the outcome of the race change then based on the caution versus um, what he might gain of two or three positions because he was having a bad day. Uh, that Him pitting there wasn't fixing his day or going to put him in the wind. Um, whereas if he'd brought out the caution, maybe not even lost a lap, he might have had a shot at it. So I think he did a noble thing, and I just don't see the reason for NASCAR to have penalized him. I understand, per the rule book, he shortcut the track, and that's what their stance is. I get that, but I think they needed to use some common sense. And in my opinion, if I recall correctly, seeing that other tracks, normally a short track, but spinning out and coming down pit road backwards down the wrong way. As long as it's not during live pit stops or a cycle that it hasn't been penalized. So I think there's some inconsistency there too, in my opinion. Okay. Um, yeah, this is kind of a, a slippery slope too. I, I, it's, it's uh, tough to really criticize NASCAR a lot of times. Uh, it's funny because they say NASCAR appreciated that Tyler Reddick uh, did not shred debris around Sonoma Raceway when he suffered that flat tire late in Sunday's race. But they felt like they still had to enforce what was in the rule book, and that's what it comes down to. Um, <clears throat> they can't. You know, people complain all the time when they feel like NASCAR is not being, uh, they're being subjective instead of objective. Well, this is a situation where they they were objective. Uh, they they felt that this was part of the rules and he didn't follow the rule, so they felt like they had to put the penalty out there for him. Um, and and you're right. Uh, he would have probably gone around that track and brought out a caution uh, if he had done it the way according to the rules. Um, 
the the NASCAR's Cup Series director Brad Moran was on Sirius XM Radio on Tuesday, and he said obviously it changes uh, it time and distance of the race. Uh, so yes, he did go down pit road. He got his tires changed, but came back well ahead of where he would have. And we appreciate the fact that he didn't tear stuff up on the racetrack. But unfortunately, we have rules that you cannot shut shortcut the course. And that was a shortcut back to pit road. And he saved about 90% of the racetrack for that lap. So he came out of that by shortcutting the way he did. He gave himself an advantage when he came back out on the track. And that's the point that NASCAR is trying to make here is that um, he, he did himself a favor by doing that shortcut and put himself ahead of where he would have come out had he gone around the track and created the caution instead. Um, he would have been, he would have come back out on the track in a much different place. So I think that's a legitimate point that they're making there. And that's why they felt that they had to. Uh, you can just imagine if other drivers did that uh, to gain an advantage on the track, uh, that would not be a good idea either. So that's why I think that NASCAR felt that they had to do the penalty. So, Tommy, what are your thoughts? So I actually missed Sonoma and uh, Worldwide Technology. Um, I was on family vacation, so I missed quite a bit of NASCAR over the past two weeks. Um, but, I mean, what I just read on the article, I mean, even though he did the right thing by not going down the track and shredding debris everywhere and bringing out a caution and altering the race, he still did break the rule, turn NASCAR's rules, and that's why he's getting penalized for it. So, I mean, even NASCAR said in the article they appreciate him doing what he did, but he still broke the rules. So um, I didn't see it, but, um, I mean, Tyler Reddick, he's a nice guy. I mean, at least he didn't pull a Carson Hosevar and just spin out and make a caution come out. So, um, and, you know, I kind of like Carson Hosevar too, but he's done some bonehead stuff over the past year and a half, I would say. But, um you know, at least he didn't bring out a caution and alter the race because we've seen plenty of that over the past couple of years. And, you know, it, does it make it exciting when the caution does come out for them to do a restart? Yes, but also at the same time, it can turn into a clown show. I mean, kind of look at what happened to Coda this year. I mean, how many restarts did they have before that race finally ended? What was it like? five or six. I mean, it was getting out of hand, honestly. So at least he didn't turn Sonoma into that situation, but he still broke the rules, so I understand the penalty. But um, yeah, I, I missed the last two races, so I'm really excited. I mean, I get this weekend off for Father's Day, too, but when I cut back on the TV to watch racing next week, Junior's going to be in the booth, so I'm excited. And then the Chicago Street Course races up. But um. Yeah, I didn't really see the Tyler Reddick thing, so I can't really add much more to it. But from what I just read, he did the right thing, but he still broke the rules. Okay, Jay. And like I said, I understand their position on that of the ruling itself. 
but I also, on the other hand, like I said, of how can you not say then if he stays out and does what attempts to, because we both or everybody's acknowledged that tire's going to shred whether he makes it around or not and does the complete, it's going to change the race. How is that not manipulating the race? No different than if he were to spin out to bring out the caution. Um, other than if you spin out, it's you intentionally doing it. The tire shredding is how it is going to happen regardless. But you still have control of it by getting off the track as he did and not letting it. So I, it's a tough one to, to follow other than, like I said, I think in this case they could have made that choice of not enforcing that. And I, I know that sounds wrong, not enforcing the rule that's there, but have some discretion. And I think back to, and they've modified how they um, penalize with the yellow flag, or the, uh, give me a second here, get all my thoughts together. The yellow line infraction when it comes to super speedway racing. The rule initially was you go below the line, you're going to get penalized. Uh, I believe it was Brad Keselowski, his first victory with Phoenix Raceway at Talladega. He didn't go below the yellow line. Another car went across his hood and went up into the fence, but he did not go below the yellow line. NASCAR said, okay, if you are forced down there, we'll make that call. That changed the way they did things. So they can put in the caveat of if there's a situation at our discretion, we may not enforce it. Um, So I think there's something that could be done because, like I said, I think I'm with him. I feel like he did the right thing. Um, for the race itself. He wasn't just thinking about himself. He didn't do it so he could save one or two positions. I, I don't remember where he finished, but it wasn't going to greatly improve his day by any means doing what he did. Uh, his day was shot, period. And he did it to prevent it from ruining, and I don't know remember who was leading at the time, but changing the outcome of the race. So I, I just I think there could be some discretion had there. Okay. Uh, Again, I'm going to kind of give the other side of the story here. Um, By doing what he did, he gave himself an advantage when he came back out on the racetrack. He he missed 90% of the racetrack, and when he came back out after getting his tire changed, it gave him an advantage. He, He came out ahead of where he would have come out had he done something different. That is opening the door for other people to do the same thing if NASCAR does not give him a penalty. So that's why I think they they were backed into a corner and had to give him that penalty. They don't want to open the door for other drivers to do the same thing and give themselves that benefit of coming back out of pit road better than they would have. So I do think that NASCAR, I do think that Tyler Reddick uh, had other options. Could he have gone, um, you know, on the shoulder or somewhere differently? He could have stopped his car and brought out the caution. There are other things that he could have done. He could have gone below the line and into the grass or whatever he had to do to bring out that caution. But by doing what he did, he gave himself an advantage. Um, and, and yes, it would have created a caution, but that's, 
that would have been better uh, than opening a loophole where you can give yourself an advantage and get better track position uh, by going off the track and shortcutting 90% of the racetrack. So you can't do that. And that's why NASCAR gave them the penalty. Um, I can see if they had not given the penalty, I could see other people saying, oh, that's how we can help ourselves. We can just uh, come into, you know, the back door and give ourselves a, a little advantage there uh, when we come back out of the off of pit road. And NASCAR didn't want to open that door, so I think they were put in that position uh, that they had to give the penalty so that they don't open that door for other people to do the same thing in the future. And and Tyler Reddick, uh, I think, did have other options that he could have done uh, in order to uh, bring out that caution. Uh, and a caution was warranted. There was a caution warranted there. So um, I think I, th I think that there were other options. Tommy. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have much to add because I didn't see it, but um, I, I understand what you're saying about the he pitted, you know, he shortcutted the track, pitted early, so that way he did come out versus going around the whole track and pitting. But, um, you know, he still broke NASCAR's rule, even though he kind of did the right thing by not going down the track and um, causing a caution, which would have altered the outcome. So um, I don't really have much to add. I didn't see it, but um, that's pretty much all I got. Oh, okay. Um, let's uh, go on. Anybody got another hot topic, Jay? No, that was. I was looking to, to see if we had any others. Uh, I don't think there were any others that we needed to discuss necessarily tonight. Let me scroll through them real quick. I will. Uh, I know you put this one up. I was sad to see this. Greg Van Hall's not going to complete the Arkham Menard yeah. schedule. Um, disappointing. Uh, like I said, there's not a whole lot more to discuss there. I guess uh, we know that sometimes it's just not, not financially possible, unfortunately, for him. Yeah, he was no, wrecked I don't see by any other um, hot topics. Yeah, he was well, I just put one up here and and it's from the front stretch as well, and I'll go ahead and bring it up and get your guys quick take on this. Um it was at the bottom of that previous article from Front Stretch. It the the two points. Among the quirks you wouldn't expect back in February, Ty Dillon has more points than his replacement in the former number 42 guard, Noah Gregson. Sure, it's with one more start, but would you have ever expected it to be that close, especially with Dillon driving the vastly underfunded number 77 for Spire Motorsports? What a nightmare rookie season for Gregson. And then Dillon and Gregson are just two of three full-timers without a top-10 finish through 16 races. The third might shock you, Ryan Priest of Stuart Haas Racing. Well, some might argue that he's had bad, uh, bad luck uh, ruin several promising performances. His average finish of 22.3 is actually worse than Cole Custer's 20.6 last year. Uh, I'd like to get your guys' thoughts about that. 
So, Jay, we'll start with you. All right, make sure I'm off mute before I start on this. Um, yeah, and I'm a fan of Noah Gregson. I'm sure Mike is missing uh, the fact that he's not involved in this conversation. Um, <laughs> but I'm a Noah Gregson fan. Has he had the best season? No. Uh, Ty Gibbs, uh, yeah, start with, oh, I'm sorry, okay, I was comparing Ty Dillon. Um, there's been, I don't know if I'd call it bad luck, but yeah, situations I think there were some where he could obviously had some better finishes uh truthfully even comparing talent wise and it's really tough to do that when you compare one driver to another talent wise unless they're in the same equipment you know or have the same resources or whatever uh but if you do Ty Dillon is a more experienced NASCAR cup driver so okay he's in a and I'll put it less underfunded team compared to legacy which is not at the greatest place either talk about that legacy motor club is looking at changing over from chevrolet to toyota are they getting less support from chevrolet at this point you know you could argue so many things noah gregson is having a rough rookie season no doubt about that uh having to sit out a race due to the accident he was in um doesn't help do i think he is still a talented driver yes Got to find that groove. Got to find that matchup. We, we talk about this with many teams. What is the key missing element? Is it driver to crew chief? You know, um, you know, so many different things. They haven't found it yet because uh, I think he is capable of running well and winning at the NASCAR Cup level. Uh, doesn't appear to be so at, yet, uh, yet at this point. We've seen some drivers, uh, and I go back to even Chase Elliott. He had some decent finishes, but it took him, I believe, three years before he won at the NASCAR Cup level. Um, so I don't read too much into that. I hope to see improvement uh, for sure. Uh, what was the other one? Oh, Ryan Priest. I'll address the Ryan Priest side on the second go-round. You can go ahead and do it now if you want. And just do one round? Okay. Um, the the Priest-Custer comparison, again, I, there's so many factors. I would say overall, in my opinion, though, Ryan Priest has been in contention to win or run good in more races than what Cole Custer was on a regular basis. He also had his few shining moments. Um, And again, I I just think they went with the opportunity, give Ryan Priest the opportunity. He hadn't been given that opportunity in a better funded team. I know there again, Stuart Haas racing has had their struggles um, as of late under the Ford banner. So it's really tough to compare. But I do think that, that Ryan Priest has been at least a top contending driver um, week in and week out more so than what Cole Custer was. Okay. Tommy? Yeah, um, I agree kind of with Jay on the Noah Graxon situation. Um, he has had a tough rookie year. And I, you can't put all the blame on him. I mean, legacy motorsports, I mean, just look at Eric Jones this year. I mean, he won Darlington last year, and, you know, this year has just not been good for them. I mean, I don't even know if Jimmy Johnson has finished one of the races this year that he's tried to attempt. Um, it's been awful, and they're going to be switching to Toyota. And speaking of, I actually just saw on Twitter where Jimmy Johnson is actually going to race a Toyota next year. 
So it's going to be weird to see him in a Toyota. But, um, yeah, Gregson, uh, Noah Gregson has struggled really, really bad this year. But um, that's not all on him. And he just missed a race with a, a concussion, um, which I know he suffered one at uh, – worldwide technology and I mean that was one thing I did see while I was on vacation was that he was out for a concussion at Sonoma so um, he just had a tough year Um, Ty Gibbs will probably definitely most likely win rookie of the year but I mean unless if Noah snags the win that might change something which could be doable he's really good at Homestead but Legacy's going to have to step up, which will be highly unlikely because they're not even going to be Chevy anymore. So why would Chevy even give them decent equipment? Um, yeah, they got rid of Ty Dillon last year, and he's doing better than Noah this year. But I think Noah's the future. Ty's been doing this for quite a while now. And, I mean, I don't want to say he hasn't been given a fair shot because he did have to drive the 13 Geico car for a long time. And then – when I think of Ty, I think of about how two or three years ago he got a chance with Joe Gibbs in the Xfinity Series for about ten races, and he really dropped the ball, and Ty Gibbs raced that same car that year and won like eight races. So, you know, tough situation for Ty Dillon. Um, but, he, I mean, at least he's doing better than – Noah this year, he can kind of hang one over them, like, oh, y'all let me go, even though Noah's doing bad. But in the long run, I think Noah's probably going to have the, uh, um, probably what I, I guess you could say, the better career. But, you know, that's to be determined. And as for Ryan Priest and Cole Custer, I mean, Cole just got his Xfinity win a couple weeks ago, and it's not that Ryan Priest is a bad, bad driver either, but Cole Custer struggled last year, and Ryan Priest is struggling this year. But once again, I think you got to put it on the equipment. I mean, the only one that appears to be having a decent season at Stuart Haas is Kevin Harvick. And even then, there's some races where he's like in 28th, and then by the end of the race, he's finally cracking the top 10 because of adjustments they've made. Um, and, you know, I think it's honestly been a downward slope for Stuart Haas for probably the past years. The only two drivers that seem to be doing anything are Harvick and Chase Briscoe. So, um, but what are they going to do next year with Ryan Priest? I mean, Kevin Harvick's retiring. Almirola might be retiring, so you might could put Custer in one of those cars and be a three-person team with Briscoe, Custer, and Priest. I've seen rumors about Michael McDowell and Harrison Burton, but, you know, that's to be determined, too. So, um, I don't know. I mean, just tough for um, Noah and Ryan Priest. They've just had some bad luck this year. Yeah, I I will say, uh, in addition to what both of you have said here, uh, the learning curve for new drivers has really been cut short. Years ago, they would give drivers a chance. And, in fact, we had Christian Rose on the show earlier tonight. He's making his truck series debut uh, coming up at Richmond. And uh, one of the things that uh, he talked about 
And what a lot of drivers who are making their debut in a lot of these series, the goal and the objective is to finish the race and and take care of your equipment. Um, but the 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 difference between that debut race and where you might end up losing your ride is uh, about a year sometimes or two years. And if you're not producing results, you end up losing your seat. Uh, so I think that plays into this right now, too, uh, because a lot of these teams uh, can't afford it with the sponsors uh, of losing that visibility if they're not performing. So that has cut down that learning cycle for a lot of these teams. Um, Ty Dillon, you guys bring up good points. Ty Dillon's been around a while. He's been driving longer. He he drove the number 13 for several years. Uh, I think there was something more to the story of him leaving that number 42 car. But, um, uh, you know, they're giving Noah Gregson a chance. But I, I have to agree with you guys, too, on both of these cases. Um, the equipment that Stuart Haas Racing is putting out and Legacy Motorsports is putting out is not the best equipment on the track right now. So you can hardly blame uh, the drivers for the equipment that they're driving not performing either. So um, when it, when you've got a seven-time champion that gets into the car and he's not able to uh, perform, how do you blame a brand-new driver getting into that same car or same type of equipment and not performing? So I think there's there's a lot to this uh, analogy that they put out here or this comparison that they put out here. I wish that they would give drivers a little more time on that learning curve, but I understand this is a money and sense game, and a lot of times they can't afford uh, to keep a driver if they're not uh, performing to the expectations of the sponsor. So uh, it's sponsor-driven now, and so uh, that has a lot to do with it. Unless the driver's bringing in a lot of cash on their own, um, they've got to listen to what the sponsor wants here, too. So in some respects, I think it's an unfair comparison, uh, but I think there's more to the story that um, these drivers are not given a lot of time to really prove themselves. Uh, this is the first year for Ryan Priest. It is the first year for Noah Gregson. I think they have to be given another opportunity uh, beyond this year. But I also think that the teams have to step up and give them better equipment. Uh, Jay, back to you. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got real quick follow up of of especially with the Noah Gregson deal. Um, that one is long term um, investment. Again, Ty Dillon's been around; he's been in multiple rides. Uh, so going with Gregson was the long term investment. With Cole Custer versus uh, Ryan Priest, that one was a matter of Custer had been here for I believe three years. Um, which again, uh, you know, we saw like I mentioned with Chase Elliott was about that time was no matter where Stuart Haas racing was compared to his teammates, he wasn't performing the same. And thus they wanted to make the, uh, or took the option to change with uh, put Ryan Priest and give him that opportunity. And I think that falls under the same category as here today of Ryan Priest. 
is not performing quite to the level of Kevin Harvick, but he's not exactly having that stellar blowout year either. So there you have to look at then the equipment. Um, and I didn't want to bring it up, but if you got teams that are manufacturing and trying to put cheated parts on, you're not doing yourselves any favors there at Stuart Haas Racing. That, that's a very true. Uh, Follow-up, Tommy? No, I don't have much to add. Um, I just think it's some bad luck for Grex, uh, Noah Gregson and Ryan Priest, but you also got to factor in the equipment. Yeah, uh, I agree, and I don't have a whole lot to add either. So I guess uh, with that, we're going to kind of close out the show. So, Tommy, we'll start with you uh, for our triangle here. All right, follow me at Since95Fan on Twitter. Um, I haven't really tweeted anything in a long time, but uh, maybe I will in the future. Okay, and uh, Jay? Well, if you follow Tommy, you might find out uh, how much he dislikes Texas and why. Uh, I don't know if that's what any of his tweets are about. I'm just kidding. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. I'm hoping to still be at your Capital City Raceway, Jackson Motor Speedway this weekend, but the weather is in the area. Uh, the MAG right here in Columbus already called off their big comp cams weekend rescheduled for july so i might be starting my vacation a little early we'll have to wait and see okay uh i am fan for racing site on twitter fan for racing blog and radio on facebook and our website uh fan for com, where we have our uh, radio player uh for our live broadcast as well as our podcast uh just on a programming note I want to make sure everybody knows that we are putting out a podcast next Wednesday, one show for next week. Uh, we, we'll do the review of the race at Berlin for the Arkham Art Series uh, during that one show that we're going to do on Wednesday. Uh, there is no show on Monday, so uh, no show on Monday, one show for the week, and that will be a podcast that we put out on Wednesday and um, uh, we'll do preview and review all in the same show. So with and and we're going to be reviewing the Arkham and Hard series at uh, Berlin. Uh, but we've got three races that are taking place at Nashville Super Speedway that following weekend. So um, we'll have our hands full with a lot of info there. So. Uh, a big shout-out uh, to our listeners for tuning in. We always appreciate you sticking with us, whether we're doing the live broadcast or the podcast or uh, however. We enjoy doing this show, and we hope you enjoy uh, the show as much as we enjoy doing it. Uh, and then also to the Fan for Racing crew here tonight, uh, Jay Huseman, uh, the co-host for our preview part of the show as well as part of our Hot Topic Sound Off, and Tommy, it was so good to have you back on the show. You always bring a great perspective, and uh, you always bring up some great points. So it was good to have you back. Um, and uh, with that, I guess we're ready to call it a night here on Pampa Racing Radio. All right. Talk to you next week. Good night, everybody. And good night. Enjoy your week of your uh, enjoy the race at Berlin Raceway this weekend in the Arkham Menard Series.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.